Welcome to the Arcade Repair Tips Question and Answer Podcast, the podcast that answers your questions about arcade repair and restoration. Now, here are your hosts, Eric and Chris. Welcome to Arcade Repair Tips, episode 66. I'm your host, Eric, and today with me is my co-host, Rusty. Hey, Rusty. Hello, Eric. I got to tell you, Chris is such a, a big influence on some of the arcade repairs that I've done and watched, and he's taught me a lot listening to the podcast. He's really done a great job. Um, while I'm sad to see that Chris has decided to to back off the podcast a little bit, I'm also excited about being here and being able to step in and, and maybe be able to help a little bit where I can and bring some um, a little bit of laughter to the to the podcast as I struggle through this. <laughs> I'm sure you, I've known you for quite a few years and I think you're going to do a great job with this. You, if, if nothing else, you have the gift of gab, I believe. <laughs> so, you know what, let's, let's jump into that. Why don't you tell us about, uh, what you do, how you got into this arcade nonsense, uh, and, uh, how you ended up here. Well, you know, it was, uh, I, I remember having a pinball back, in my bedroom, a uh, home use one when I was back in high school in the late 70s. In the <laughs> way back when dinosaurs still roamed the earth, yes. Um, but I never really got into it um, until about 11 years ago, I guess. I got to collecting pachinko machines, the mm-hmm. Japanese pachinko machines, and, and found those pretty cool, but they were always fall short of a real pinball machine. Well, well, hold on. What was the pinball machine you had in your bedroom? It was called uh, Derby, uh, Smash Smash Derby. <laughs> uh, it, it had two cars on it. It was racing. As a matter of fact, my mom has an antique store in Liberty, Texas, and in the warehouse, she has. We saw that original pinball machine, and I'm going to be pulling it out and restoring that rascal here for. I wonder if Uncle Barry's going to get jealous. He has all the home pinball machines, and I don't think he has that one. I don't know if he has that one or not. I remember seeing it. I looked through his collection. I don't know if he has that one or not. So it's going to be fun to see if he's got it. But um, anyway, I so. I the the pachinkos really just didn't do what I wanted it to do. Really wasn't you know the full pinball machine. So I got into so I went and looked and one day at a resale shop found a pinball machine, picked it up, realized I was so far over my head. It was a really really odd rare ball uh, pinball machine called the Spectra Four, and um, that's oh, that how, was your first. That was the very first. Can you imagine the very first is Spectra Four, which was just a super rare machine, only. There wasn't any working at the time when I picked it up, and uh, Dan Ferguson had one out at Lone Star Pinball Machine. Dan had one, and uh, we worked together on it. It took me about two and a half years, but in that meantime, I picked up another pinball machine, mostly with the EM. Started out with those uh, because they were more like the uh, pachinko machines where they were just mostly mechanical. You could just right. figure those out. They were pretty simple stuff. And um, I ended up getting a Goldwings pinball machine. That's we, uh, Gottlieb from Gottlieb the Gold 80s. Wings had a had a siren in it and everything. That's a great <laughs> game. It was a lot of fun. People didn't like, don't really care. It was that was the easy. era when Gottlieb was putting these photo. Real, they were taking the pic, the translate work that were all pictures, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Very cheesy. Pictures. Oh yes, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I kept that for about uh, four or five months. Me and the kids, we enjoyed it. But um, then I got a chance to swap it out for. Um, 
for two video games. I swapped that pinball for a Miss Pac-Man and a Galaga. And that's got me into the videos. So now I'm in the videos and trying to fix those and had to do a cap kit on the Miss Pac-Man machine to make it work right and figured all that out. And and from there, it's just been building up. And these things just multiply like it's rabbits. It's like, uh, like getting a tattoo, right? Once you get one, you, you're, you're happy with it. But the way to make it better is to get 20 more, right? Yeah, maybe so. Uh, haven't, haven't, haven't stepped into that <laughs> trap yet, but uh, that, that could be true. And it's funny when you hear somebody get into this hobby and get one machine, one pinball, one video game. And, th- and they say, this is going to be enough. I'm going to stop here. And you, and you tell them, no, you're not. You're go- this is just the beginning of many machines going into your house. And you, I, do you know anybody that just has one? I don't know that I know anybody. That no, does. and it was funny because there's been a couple of people that have come up to the arcade that I've met over the years that they finally decide, oh, I'd like to have one, pick up a game. And, oh, we'll just buy this. We'll put it in my thing. And then next thing you know, I'm hearing how their wives are upset because they're filling up the kitchen and the living room and the garage. They can't park the car in the garage anymore. <laughs> and that's where it ends up. And that's really what happened to me. You know, I just got so many of them. And, um, and all this time I was working for – I was an IT career and I was working for an oil company. And a couple of years ago got laid off and uh, decided that I was done with uh, the corporate world. And so between the arcade, which is the game preserve that I'm one of the co-owners of, I decided to go ahead and start another business called Key Arcades. And Key Arcades where I actually repair, rebuild, buy, sell, and things for, and it's located up in the woodlands. And so I've really learned a lot, picked up and expanded my tool collection and the test equipment and things, and and actually built some of my own test equipment now. And so really kind of expanded that. So I've moved from just a home tinkerer into actually being able to turn something that I love doing into a small business. And you've had this business now for about two years? It's... uh. About a year and a half, I think. I, I want to say I started it, well, I got laid off two years ago, so it had to be about a year and a half because I, I, I contemplated for about six months before I really felt like I could jump in and, and do it. And, um, yeah, so and it and it does okay. I, I tell people I'm as busy as I want to be, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I just don't want to be busy. And um, so it, But I'm hoping to see some improvement in – in business as uh, as we move into 2018. And, and you touched on uh, something that you are one of the owners, one of the co-owners of the Game Preserve, which is a an arcade in the Woodlands, uh, north side of Houston. So the there was an interview that we did uh, with you and Ken Graham, who's also one of the owners, uh, earlier this year that uh, has yet to air. So we're going to air that interview later in this episode, and it's it's really talking about how you got started with this, the idea of starting your own arcade, which you've been in business now, what, for about four years? It'll be five years in January. Wow, five years in January. Years. And Eric was customer number three. I think we said customer number four, four or five, because the owners, the were, owners were one, one two, two, and three. three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I so was, you were early, early on. I was there actually the, before it opened up yeah. a few times. But, yeah. uh, so we're going to have an interview that was conducted uh, earlier this year on how they got started with the Game Preserve, how they've, uh, what their business model is, how they are, uh, were able to have a successful arcade, 
uh, in a time period where that's not, you know, it's that's kind of a tough thing to do. And you guys made it happen. So we'll uh, we'll we'll have that aired later on the episode. So what we're going to do today is have a little quick tech talk. Uh, then we're going to get into some of the uh, submitted questions and then go into the interview uh, later on. So let's jump right into the tech talk. You know what? Something that we used to do was talk about, before we go into this tech talk, something I like to do um, was talk about what each what each of us are working on, what our projects are. So let's, how about you, Rusty? What have you been, what's something, some of the games that you've been working on lately? Well, um, or while you int- contemplate that, no. should I start? <laughs> well, I tell you, because I've got a shop full of machines right now. That, that <laughs> Yeah, you probably have a lot more on your to-do list than I do. Yeah, I've got um, we're a couple of things that we did. There was, and, it, and there's some lessons to be learned there, I think, is that that may help the, our listeners out there. Um, I have a, an ar- arachnid dart, arcade dart game, mm-hmm. uh, English Darts uh, Series 6000, and I picked it up thinking – at a, at a, I bought like a whole group of stuff at one point, and that's this was part of that deal. And I paid, you know, a little bit of money for it and got it back. Saw some things weren't working, and and started working. Recap the monitor, which was really fun because the monitor is only like nine. Uh, okay, so the rack, those have the monochrome monitors, and it's not black and white. It's kind of yellow and yes, black, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's really small. I mean, you, I I took a picture of it, and, and I have a dollar bill laying next to oh, it. Oh yeah, I mean, it's really small, but. Uh, so I fixed it all, cleaned it all up, and then I go, all right, well, now it's mostly working. I thought it was mostly working. There was a little components. So I said, all right, well, now let's go see what this thing is worth and see if I can get my money out of it. Well, <laughs> guess what? They're just not worth that much money. And it's like, well, that's great. So um, it's a good learning experience. I'll be able to – matter of fact, the, the machine is going out of my shop uh, this week, a gentleman decided to pick it up and buy, and basically he's buying it for what I've got into it, and it's and it's the going price. But the lesson learned here is, is as you think about getting into a machine, or or you have a machine that someone gives you, or or you've got and you want to go, think, one of the things you need really need to think about is, are you going to outrun the value of the machine with right. those repairs? And when you're new into this hobby, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people listening are just getting into this hobby. your first instinct is to buy, 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 buy. You get one machine, you want to expand your collection, you got it, you're you're keeping up with the Joneses. You want to try to amass your collection as quick as you possibly can. So you get on Craigslist, you get on eBay, and you just you want to be the first person to go buy. Or you go you go to an auction and the it's just a frenzy of people buying, you get caught up in the moment and it's all going crazy and you just you gotta you gotta get it instead of Fred getting it. Sold. Right. (laughs) And you know if you just wait Thing, you know, you're going to get better deals if you uh, wait and uh, you know, make sure that you get, check the value on eBay on sold sold listings. To, and uh, well, that's exactly right. And and the but the other point to make too is that people get these machines they've had in their homes forever. I, matter of fact, I've got a Captain Fantastic that I just got in my shop. These these folks had in their home, and the machine's in great shape. But when we talked to her on the phone before I looked at the machine, I said, well, we need to think about what we need to do with this machine and how much it's going to cost and how much my time is going to cost because you can buy these machines relatively inexpensive for what it may cost to get the thing repaired. And the only and I don't want to overrun the value because the, the only difference between 
your Captain Fantastic and the Captain that's fully working and for sale is a serial number. And the sen- sentimental value. And yeah, and, it's, it's, and and is there enough sentimental value if you swapped them out and you can't tell the difference because the only difference is a serial number? Right. How would you know? And <laughs> and you know, let's not let's make sure you make the right thing. So when you're out looking at machines and thinking to buy machines or repairing machines, think about how much. What could it? You need to know how much your machine's worth, not because you're going to sell it, but how much money can you feasibly put in it and still not outrun it? Because if you can right. just buy one, it works. Just go buy one; it works. Now the dart machine, I have yeah. not worked on one of the. I've I've seen a lot of those and kind of stayed away from them. How does the sensor work where it knows which section the dart goes? Well, see that that's and that's what's wrong with this machine, and that's where the in, the expensive part comes with these machines. Behind, there's a grate that the dart goes into, and it sticks, and they're all little plastic things. Each one of the little pie sections is a different section of plastic that has has one or two little nipples on the back Mm -hmm. that then press through Ah. a soft rubber that then presses onto... A spider membrane buttons. Gotcha. So there's a big the old they, clicky, the little, the little uh, concave or not. What's the opposite of concave? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Little the, metal membrane. Yeah, button. if you could see Eric's hand, he, he's showing you what it looks like. But yeah, it's got a little bump on it. Convex. And it, it convex, and when it pushes that in, it makes that trigger. Well, that's called a spider. And there's different spiders for different games, for different sizes, and, of course, different – as technology changed, the spiders changed. But the problem is, on these older dart games, those spiders, if you, if you can find them, the spiders themselves can cost you anywhere from 125 to 150 bucks. Well, you can buy a whole working game for 250 <laughs> So that – and that was the problem. And the only reason – one – the spider I had, it had a whole section because they were daisy chained, right? There was a whole section out. And it wasn't like all of the pie section for number seven was out. It was like single seven, double 14, you know, single three, whatever. It was kind of along the line. So, but a guy showed up with another machine, a Street Fighter machine that I bought from him, and he had this dart game, just another dart game just like mine, sitting in the back of the truck. And I said, dude, I'll give you 25 bucks for it. He sold it because it was just falling in pieces. Well, I ripped it out, threw it all apart, and took that spider out, put it in my machine, swapped it out, and it worked, but I still have one segment out. And it's it's like a double 17 or something like that is is what's out on that segment. And the person buying it knows that it's out, and he's okay with that. So can can we just put a tiny little out of order uh, pie piece on this? One? Yeah, put a put a square over it. So one it little square, so you can't hit it. Yeah, the, this section out of order. Yeah, yeah. So that's but that. So those dart games, you have to really be careful. They're really not worth much. You can go buy one. Bay Area Amusements down in Baytown actually has has a lot of them for sale. For that price, and you know, you mentioned the guy with the game in the back of his truck. I I do not shy away from games that are just dilapidated and falling apart for the purpose of parts. Absolutely, I will. You know, the, it, you know, you have to be honest about things. Sometimes games have just gone. Some people want to preserve everything. That's very noble, but it's many times just not possible. But what? You, but those games that are destined to go to the dump. You know, there's there are still good parts in them, yeah. and uh, you know, I'll I will strip strip everything usable 
off of something like that. Yeah. Uh, and see me, silly people like me and Eric, we'll buy them. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you 25 bucks. Bring the machine to me. I'll give you 25 bucks for it. And that's what happened. Actually, that's what happened. This guy, the, the, the street fighter in the dart game, he found it on the side of the road. Yeah. Somebody just pulled it out, threw it out on the side of the road. The street fighter worked. How about that? It worked, except for it would get to the fighting scene and then it would crash. Well, I had another Street Fighter board set that we ended up swapping out, bring it in, and there we go. And then I did a little work to it and the way we were working. You but know, the we, monitor and everything worked. We had our hurricane down here, Hurricane Harvey, a couple of months ago. And I, there were several stories down here, several people that I know or we know that picked up some games that were set out by the curb yep. uh, that worked. Uh, let's see who was, uh, I know somebody that picked up a, uh, was it a crazy climber cabaret that worked, you know, of course, you know, all these, you know, the, the ones, these, that the crazy work. climber, really? Yeah. Oh God, I want that game. <laughs> <laughs> see, this is what you see that you, you hear that sound. Oh, I want that game. That's, that's what happens. You, you start, you that's start when one turns into 30. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's when you look back and you go, Oh my God, I got a hundred machines. <laughs> So I'm gonna. I guess I'll use that as a segue because I asked you what you've been doing at uh, your shop, and so what I've been doing here for uh, this has been kind of a longer project than I hoped for it to be. But after the hurricane, l- luckily I was spared by the hurricane. No, no water got up in my house or shop. Uh, unfortunately, in this in this area, a lot of houses did, and uh, I took in a somebody that works with my wife had three pinball machines that the water made it up uh, up the legs all the way to the body, just barely in, up to the, uh, the body of it, uh, a couple of inches above, and was, had just saturated that bottom piece of wood, which is not plywood. On, a, on many pinball machines, the, the bottom of the cabinet is a, like a fiberboard or a uh, – it's not really MDF. It's a, it's a fiberboard. So when it's it, cheap. Yeah, it's just it's – it's as low-grade as you can get. And when it gets wet, it doesn't behave. <laughs> no. It, it just disintegrates. So I've spent uh, the, uh, quite, quite some time repairing all three of those cabinets – which entails completely splitting apart the cabinet because it's uh, the way the slots and grooves are on those uh, on those cabinets. You have to uh, split it open in order to get the uh, uh, new piece. Once you make a new piece, in order to get it in there, and all the cross bracing and, and you know the speaker and any connector that was down there, you know everything had to be uh, uh, had to be fixed. But those are those are now all done. And uh, I don't know what's next. Uh, what's next for me? I think that's. Uh, uh, that's uh, oh, you know what? I know what's next. I've got a another pinball machine in there. I've got to uh, get up and running. Um, and then uh, we've got actually some... what's next is going to be the uh, the stunt cycle. Oh yeah, yeah. So what's the, what was that? What was that acquisition of yours? It was a, it was interesting because uh, a gentleman wanted to um, wanted to get rid of a game that he had and said he wanted to sell it or he wanted to get rid. He said, "Y'all just come and get it." Well, I called him up, told me what he had, and I said, "Man, you're not, you're not just going to give that thing away. I got to give you something for it." So I went over there and met him. And part of the reason I did that is because we have the same last name. Yeah, his name is Key as well, and so anyway, I went down there and met him, and and um, he had. A stunt cycle, an original stunt cycle, which is a Atari. A, Atari, or is that Key or Atari? Atari. Okay, Key Games was 
No, uh, they, they, uh, no, Joe Key was the guy that owned it. No, the uh, the uh, the early black and white Atari games. Some of them were Atari Key K E E. Oh, I did not know that. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. No, that's Rusty, okay. I'm learning some. That's all right. I'm learning some. I didn't know there was any of that. the. Uh, but anyway, we went. I went and picked it up, and um, I think we ended up recapping the monitor. It's just black and white monitor, and. Um, Started working, got the power up where it needed to be, and it kind of works. And you can see the little motorcycle on the screen. You see the buses, the draws. It tries to do things. Um, but after that, I was out of my element at that point. Uh, one of the things you do have to be, if you're getting into this, is you have to be willing to, to, to say, okay, I've reached my limit of my knowledge. I need to ask someone out there. And trust me, there are more people out there that know more than you, me, er, there's other people out there that just know stuff. Right. And it may be specific to exactly what you're looking for. So it doesn't, doesn't hurt to ask. So Eric has, has helped me some on that. Okay. So that was the uh, Atari stunt cycle. And I think I've got, yeah, I've got the game board for that over here, right? And that's, that's number 78 on my to-do list. Ah, of, wait a minute. Uh, hold on. <laughs> that's way down that list. <laughs> if you, you know, you want to buy dinner tonight, I there can move it up. We At least ten spots. Yeah, we can we can order pizza. <laughs> how how uh, nice the steak is there determines how far up the list it goes. Hey, where's your, when your wife gets home, we're gonna feed all three of you. <laughs> well, I'm gonna feed I'm gonna feed two. She's gonna have to feed the third one. <laughs> oh no, that'd be great. Whenever, you, like I said, whenever you get to it. But that's gonna be that should be a cool one to to see work because that's that's seventy eight, I think. Is it? Yeah. yeah, and it's you know those games. Uh, and I'm trying to remember on that one. Does it have a microprocessor in it or nope. not? It's all, it's all logic. Yeah, all logic chip. Yep, all logic circuits. It's almost like chip. a Sudoku puzzle. It really is a logic puzzle when you get in there, which is something I like. You know, yeah. you dig into it and follow the you you absorb the schematic on it. You yeah. take everything in. And start following all the logic, and uh, it's very rewarding when you fix something like that. Or to me, it is. Yeah, it should be. And the 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 manual, and you have the manual. Should have the manual with it. The uh, the manual actually will go through and show you what all each of those individual circuits do. Yeah, so Atari did a very good job. They did. Of, they really of breaking did. it down into modules. I guess you could say yeah. Yeah. instead of having one large schematic, it you have you know small sections and and uh, very good descriptions of, yeah. of what it does. Yeah, they really did. They really did. Well, since we are talking kind of techie right now, uh, I'm going to talk briefly about uh, monitors and isolation and grounding of these monitors and why it's why it's necessary. And before I get into that, I would encourage uh, any of you guys who would like to hear a talk about a specific uh, topic, a, a specific tech topic, to let us know. And we'll uh, we'll jump into it to the whatever amount of knowledge that we have and uh, and dig in. Um, and this what I'm going to talk about today stems from a conversation I had with one of my buddies this past week about uh, grounding a, uh, a an arcade machine and you know why why you do it and and specifically why on a monitor it's even that much more important. And as you as you know or you, you may or may not know. Video early video games would have an isolation transformer. Sometimes they would have two transformers in the game. One of them would be for the voltages going to the game board, 
and then you would have a transformer that would be called an isolation transformer that would supply the voltage to the monitor. Sometimes those two transformers will be combined into one. You'd get all of your lower voltages in it, in addition to the 120 volts or 100 volts needed for the monitor. And so you look at this at a schematic and you see, well, there's 120 volts AC going into it. There's 120 volts AC coming out of it. That seems kind of silly. Why on earth would you, you know, what? why, why do they do this, right? Okay, so the reason why we need this isolation transformer has to do with the power supply section of the monitor chassis. And really, if you want to follow along with what I'm saying, all you need to do is pull up a schematic for pretty much any monitor from the 80s. Just pull up your G07 or uh, 4900 or whatever schematic and look at the power supply section or the kind of the input power supply input area for your monitor. And what you will notice is that the AC voltage comes in. Uh, may go through a line filter but uh, or some other type of choke or filter, but it goes straight into a bridge rectifier. And that will go straight to, you know, the negative side of it is going to go to ground, and the positive side of it feeds the, the rest of the monitor chassis. Now, since these monitors require some rather high voltages, there's no step-down transformer just simply because it's not needed. And when you start kind of stepping back and looking at how that's done, the ground for the monitor chassis, uh, for both the circuitry as well as the physical metal chassis of it, is simply going uh, through this bridge rectifier. between. So between the input voltage of 120 volts AC and the monitor chassis, the ground, is just simply one bridge rectifier. Now, to really fully understand what's, what could potentially happen here, we have to kind of step back and talk about AC voltage and how a house is wired. Uh, for, you know, for the U.S., we have 120 volts AC. We have hot, neutral ground. Neutral is uh, the uh, white wire, ground is the green wire, and the black wire is the hot wire. And if you follow that all the way back to your fuse panel, the ground wire, which is the green wire, or sometimes it's a bare copper wire if you were to take the, you know, pull a plug out of your wall, uh, is the neutral and the ground are tied together. They, they are at the same potential, same voltage potential. And then the hot wire, the black wire, is your AC 120 volts. <clears throat> so now, now let's go back to our game. The ground wire, the uh, green ground wire that would be in the wall, comes in third, third prong in the outlet, uh, goes into your game, and then everything metal in your game is connected to it, including the chassis of your the metal chassis of your monitor now that we kind of see this whole picture there's only there's there's a diode between the ground wire which is the same thing as your neutral wire in your house and the positive then i'm sorry not the positive but the ac voltage coming in so if you did not have an isolation transformer as soon as you plugged it in it would be the equivalent of taking a small rectifier diode 
and putting it in your wall socket from one prong to the other. It would just blow up or it would trip the breaker or it would <laughs> blow the fuse in your game. But it's it's basically just about a direct short. As soon as the AC uh, voltage going in went from its positive edge to its negative uh, section, it would it would blow, it would just blow up. <laughs> And if you, uh, once again, I, I encourage you to kind of dig into this on your own, follow this at home, take your meter, put it on diode check, go out to your monitor chassis and test what I'm talking about. You'll see that it's a, it's just a, uh, you know, six tenths of a volt diode drop between the, uh, metal chassis and your, uh, 120 volt input. Not only can it come from, you know, your ground, your ground wire when it comes into the game, your earth ground will usually go, it's supposed to go to the uh, metal monitor chassis, but it can also be part of the game's power supply and the game board itself. So what that means is that's one, one path of this uh, would be from the metal, the, the metal chassis of the monitor being grounded, but the other path is actually would be coming through the signal input of the game board through the ground wire. So that that means it's necessary to isolate the voltage coming into the monitor from the ground wire of the earth ground of the input. And that's what the purpose of, you know, of course that's the purpose of the isolation transformer. So what is going what's going on in this isolation transformer? What is it? What's inside it? What's it doing? The transformer or a transformer in general is going to have ac voltage coming into a coil you know a copper wire wrapped around uh, you know some i'm going to i'm going to keep this kind of simple you've got copper wire wrapped around some metal and also on this piece of metal you've got another winding of copper it's going to be in a particular this metal is it's a little bit more in depth than that but your the first coil is is producing a magnetic field in the metal. And the second coil is picking up that magnetic field and generating voltage from it. And the larger the, the coil, the larger the, the whole thing is if, if scaled up will allow more current. So if you have a small transformer, few windings on it, smaller gauge wire, uh, versus if you a larger coil, larger gauge wire, uh, you can pass more current through it. So if you have a one-to-one -one ratio of the windings, you'll have that same voltage output. But the key point is that the output of it, or what they call the secondary of the transformer, has no voltage as compared to the input. In other words, if you take your meter and put it on AC, and you put one lead to the uh, output of the transformer, the secondary output, and the other lead to the other output on the secondary, you'll get your 120 volts. But if you take one of the leads and put it anywhere else on the primary side, you get nothing. So there's no, you get that same 120 volts, but it's completely isolated from the input side of it. So there is no reference to ground or any other voltage. It's kind of, uh, you know, just like its own habitat all on the uh, secondary side. So hopefully that it will explain uh, why you need the isolation transformer. And I, I will say this, in the 90s, certain manufacturers of monitors started making their power supplies a little bit different 
so that it did not require an isolation transformer. But, you know, be sure that that you have that type before you remove that transformer. And it won't hurt anything if you still use an isolation transformer with a monitor that does not require one. Okay? I've seen some people put uh, the lights through that. It's, it you know, it's... I've it's, seen it doesn't help it doesn't hurt it's just, just the only thing that it could hurt is you are drawing additional current and that isolation transformer is only rated for so much current and that current you know they they've already figured out how much current that monitor draws and they've selected the isolation transformer for it so I wouldn't I wouldn't put the lights in with that yeah you know and and Eric I have seen where people take out the old original power supply, put in a switching power supply, mm-hmm. and even heard people, oh, we'll just plug it into the to the 110 going to the monitor because you know that's where your right. your monitor power is. And, and, and again, I, I'm reluctant to do that because, as you said, that, that transformer was selected and put in there because it matched what they were doing in the original in- engineering. Do not over do not re-engineer that cabinet. Somebody's already done that for you. And if you go in and start doing things like this, adding more load to something to that transformer, you may be overloading it. Very easily could be overloading it because if they're making ten thousand of those, and the difference between a transformer that does the monitor and a transformer that's a little bit stronger is fifty cents. Well, that's out of ten thousand, that's five thousand dollars. They say right. by going with the right size, they build everything to a price. Absolutely, absolutely. So you got to think about that, and and that's why I'm like so with this conversation. I'm glad we had this because one of the things I'm thinking about is I want to have that, but I've got to figure out what size transformer do I put in that box so I know I can run a twenty five inch monitor or I can run that nine inch monitor out of the uh, right. Thing, or run to them and you know something that while you were talking something that came to mind if you have any questions about exactly how to wire if you're let's say you just acquire a a cabinet just a empty shell of a cabinet and you're going to wire everything up yourself uh bob the bob roberts webpage has a great uh little tutorial or picture some some diagrams of exactly how to how you should wire up your uh, wire up your cabinet, your where you put your main fuse, where you put your, um, you know, where you put everything, where you put the isolation transformer, where you put your noise filter. You know that there should be a little inline noise filter, uh, e- EMI interference. It's uh, so if you check out his website, even though he is not, he's not f- fulfilling orders right now. There is still a lot of good information on his website. As a matter of fact, when we get to the questions, I have—I think I'm going to be using his, uh, referencing his website again. So, okay, well, that's that's enough of the tech talk. So what we're going to do now is go straight into the question and answer part of the podcast. And then, once again, after that, we're going to have the interview with Rusty and Ken, uh, speaking uh, of the Game Preserve and how they uh, how they all got started and how they run it now. So, what do you think? You ready to get into this? Yeah. Are you, you ready well. to do let's this? Go, let's go pick a few of them. We've got a lot of monitored Lots got a lot of monitor, monitor questions. questions. <laughs> right. Okay, the first question is from Terry. I have a centipede game. The monitor works sometimes, and other times it just has white lines vertically on the screen. Any ideas? And, you know, I'm going to use this as a 
segue to make a comment about people sending in questions. I'll tell you what's really helpful with some a question like this is an actual snapshot, a picture of exactly what I call, uh, you know, what you're calling white lines, you know, uh, could look, you know, in my mind, probably looks a lot different than what you see on your screen. And it would, it's always helpful to have a good picture of what you see. So once again, going into monitor problems, what's the first thing we want to talk about when someone says that they're, they don't have a screen? Well, you want to know if the game is actually playing or not. Is the screen right. showing anything? Does the screen, does or, the screen have anything to show? Or, or also, is it playing blind? Yeah. That's that's the important distinguishing uh, determining factor of whether it's the more more times than not whether it's the game board or the monitor, and we, of course we, we on this question we don't have any information of whether or not it's playing blind. But let's you know that's that's the first thing you should do is coin it up, hit the start button. You know all those did the did centipede have the little volcano start buttons or did it have yeah. the big uh, no. Play. It's got. It's, I'm pretty sure it has a volcano button. So the Atari games would have this cone-shaped meta, uh, metal uh, player one, player two start button. But what's kind of nice about it is when you coin it up, it flashes. It has a little red LED under there, and that's great. That kind of lets you know that the game board, when you put the do the coin, even if your sound doesn't work, you, you coin it up, and you see that red light flashing yeah. on player one. You coin it up again, you see player two fly. That's a really good indication that yep. your game board is working properly. Yeah. Now, as far as, let's, let's, say, it, let's say it is playing blind, um, and it's the, you know, the, that, which was going to tell us that the monitor is, is the problem. Uh, you know, we need to know what type of monitor that is in that particular game. I've seen a lot of different monitors in, well, really anything of that era. It's kind of like, you know, thing, those games were being produced so fast, they're just getting whatever they can put into into a game. Whoever was selling them cheap this week. Or whoever had, had monitors. Or had them at that time. Yeah, I that's, guess uh, Atari was being made out on the West Coast. Most of the other games were being made up in the Chicago area. Uh, and I've seen, uh, you know, I'm probably going to just destroy the pronunciation of this, but I think it's called Matsushita, you know, Panasonic, the company that uh, Panasonic, it's, um, it, it, hmm. it's not pronounced the way it's spelled, but a lot of Ataris have that monitor in it. Um, you know, it, once again, it could, it could be anything Yeah, and it, it helps knowing which monitor you have before you start. Uh, and also, once again, if you if you have a situation like this and and it's doing something odd on the screen, snap a picture of it and include that with your question, like a link to uh, somewhere where we can see it, and that that helps us out a lot as far as diagnosing it. Yeah, you know, and I would also say besides the front of the screen, if you can get a picture of the chassis, look yes. for the the things now. And you have to understand that there's there's multiple. Uh, part numbers or device numbers, if you will, on a machine because the tube itself will have a number. Right. And that tube, it could be an RCA tube in a Wells Gardner chassis. Right. So so you need to make sure that, you know, what you're looking at is the chassis, the board with all the little components on it. Look around. And a lot of times that's posted on the side of the metal of the, the thing. And here's where I'm going to go back and reference Bob Roberts. He has an excellent section in there on how to identify your monitor chassis. 
And uh, you know, just like you said, those the tube the tubes were a lot of people will mention the the number on the tube. Well, those tubes are the same tubes they used in TVs in nineteen inch color yep. TVs back then. So it's the uh, it's it's going to be typically the the side of the the metal side of the the chassis will have a sticker on it that will say like WG forty nine zero one or something you know yep. along those lines. But well, how about we jump on to the next one? All right. Um, so. Will sent in and said, hey, I have a Galaxian machine, and the screen doesn't show the whole picture. It only takes up about five-eighths of the screen from right to left. You can sort of play it, but the ship fades out to the right. You can still see the ship shooting, but not the ship itself. We've turned on all the knobs, and nothing fixed it. I'd like to know what to do about it. Five-eighths, huh? I guess that's <laughs> one-eighth better than a half, right? <laughs> exactly. That's, a, that's, that's a pretty exact. very calculated yeah. number, isn't it? Yeah. I, think, I think Will's an engineer. He's, <laughs> he had the measuring tape well, out yeah, of that yeah, one. Yeah, Will looked at that. So, you know, the first thing I would and, – and a lot of these things, the first thing – you're going to hear this, a cap kit. Throw in a cap kit. Let's get a cap kit to it. Mainly because these games, the Galaxians and other ones, when's made? 80s? Yes. Early 80s. That's 30 years old, right? Look around your house. What do you have that's 30 years old that's still working? <laughs> You're probably not going to find much. And capacitors are like batteries. They basically are batteries. They're little quick running batteries. But they will, they over time, they dilapidate just like a battery. Right. And, and they're called electrolytic capacitors. And it has to do with, basically, they have kind of like a paste inside it. Um, the material the will actually dry out over time. And once that material dries out, it loses its effectiveness. And once again, 30 years old. 30 years old, it's it's, going to go, yeah. So the first thing on this one I would certainly say is let's put a cap kit in it. And there's... You can get this done. Generally, you can find uh, a shop that'll do it. Probably around 125 or so. Generally, what that starts, they'll start out with a cap kit. They'll tell you, "Hey, look, it's like 115, 125 dollars." Once it's in my, in the shop, right? And then if it if it builds more than that, it turns out that you need a flyback or the uh, the horizontal hot. output, the hots out or something. Then you you add a little bit to it. But basically, you can get one rebuilt. You should be able to get one rebuilt for. Hundred and fifty to hundred and seventy five dollars, right? Right in that range. But we're here to tell you, you can you do can this do yourself. Absolutely, look it up on the net. Discharge so, that monitor and go for it. Right, right. And I think Tim and Jonathan have a good video uh, online about how to discharge the monitor and and uh, you know it's they they make it where it's you know the, these games where they're not too hard to take the whole monitor out. You can you can take just the board out the the board. They call it the the PC board of a monitor is called a chassis. Uh, and it's they're made in a way such that you can take that part out. But, you know, sometimes I've seen people that are just more comfortable taking the whole monitor out, then they'll take the circuit board out once it's out. There's no right or wrong way to yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like the I'm, I'm in IT. Rusty used to be in IT, and, you know, you've, we've all heard the IT guys say when you have a problem, what's the first thing they tell you to do? restart the computer it's the it's the it's almost like a joke you know the it guys don't know anything they just all they tell you to do is reboot the computer and the cap kit's kind of the same thing it's what you need to do to have a good baseline before you start trying to correct a problem it's just what you have to do uh you know unless somebody's done a cap kit then that's you know already and it's you know that's a different story and and a lot of people like myself like at my shop we will put 
a sticker on it that said, I do the cap kit on it. And a lot of the cap kits, the ones you get from Bob Roberts and some other ones, they actually, have those stickers. They have the it, stickers yeah. and put them on the machine. If you cap it yourself, put it on there, write your name, sign it on, say you did it, or put Eric's name on it. Saying <laughs> that Eric did it. But you, you, want, you want to tell whoever it is down the road that you've done that cap kit. But, but to Eric's point, there are 15, 20 maybe caps on a – or maybe a little less, 15. But there's about 15 capacitors on a normal chassis board. Well, that's 15 little things that could go wrong. And if they're wrong just a little bit, times 15, well, just a little bit times 15 adds up to be a lot. So just do it. Just do the cap kits. Their cap kits are 10 bucks. And, you know, if you had Superman X-ray vision and you could look at that board and say, cap C-115 is bad, you don't. Just you, you don't want to replace the bad cap and put it back in the game. It's it's a preventive maintenance issue yeah. as well. You yeah. want to replace all of them. Just you know, exactly. And and that's I've heard that as well as people. Well, I just, I knew this was this was I saw the cap was bust was bubbled. You can up see on the, the top, top of it, it where was it, messed up. Yeah. So I just replaced that cap, and now it, it it. Well, the thing is, is like we said earlier, each one of those caps is off a little bit. Well, now you put a nice fresh one in there. <laughs> and all those other ones that have been happily working with everybody else that's just really old now has this new young kid running along there with them, and they just don't know what to do, and it really gets ugly. So change them all out. And, and, you know, if that, if that fixes the problem, and, of course, if you've gone in there, at the end of this question it mentions uh, turning all the knobs and nothing fixed it. If it, you know, looks much better than it did before, you're going to kind of need to adjust all the uh, of the settings on it, and I've and I've mentioned this before in past episodes. But Wells Gardner has a good guide, uh, kind of a not a troubleshooting guide, but kind of like a flow, a flow chart of how to set all of your you know you've got no matter what brand of monitor you still have all of kind of the same settings you're going to ha- uh, uh, on them, and it's it's so that guide will work for you know whatever brand monitor you have and what surely will be out of out of whack once you've been adjusting all the knobs is the drive and bias on the neck board for the monitor and that's that's the part that's gonna you're gonna kind of see the most i mean of course you've got to get the you know if you've got a horizontal hold thing you're gonna need to get that dialed in and then you're gonna do the brightness and then you're gonna do the contrast and you're you know but then lastly you're gonna get the um the actual uh, red, green, and blue colors dialed in properly, and um, you know it's it's uh, it really is. And as Eric said, you you want to go look at and do a little bit of research. You know, uh, Mr. Will stayed here. We've turned all the knobs and nothing fixed it. That's kind of the shotgun approach to it. You really want to go to the rifle method. You want to do a little bit of research, understand that monitor, understand what their knobs are doing. If you have very your if your red color is very dim turning the knob for vertical control or horizontal width isn't going to fix it so read your get your monitor find your monitor uh manual you can find them online do a google search do that rifle go straight to that one that has a problem if you know you got a little red go to the red knobs then you're you're much better and quicker fixing it quicker all right all right Oh, looks like we're gonna. Looks like Junior's home, no, so we're gonna go. we're gonna take a quick break and reconvene with the next question. And we're back. Well, to you guys, that was instantaneous, right? For us, that was two hours and a pizza. <laughs> but we are back with the next question, and this next question is from Ken. 
I have a Wells Gardner 7400 K7400 monitor that is turning itself on and off very rapidly. It doesn't matter whether it's cold or warmed up a little bit. Sometimes it does it right after turning it on. Oh, I had to kind of watch those words. Okay, so let's let, let me try that one more try time. There you go. <laughs> Sometimes it does it right after turning it on cold. Sometimes it will come on for a few minutes and then it will start doing this. It is flickering on and off. Um, he says this, uh, it's doing this, meaning there's a reference here to a movie that unfortunately we were not able to get to uh, make it play on two different computers. Yeah. Uh, so we, we're just going to have to kind of go with uh, what's worded here. So it turns itself on and off very rapidly. And, of course, rapidly is is what he calls it. We couldn't see, so we don't know exactly how fast it is. But So we're going to talk about a few things that it could be. Um, <clears throat> now, one thing, you're if you have a monitor that kind of comes on and then cuts back off, there is some circuitry in a monitor chassis. Uh, it's the X-ray protection circuitry. It's the high-voltage protection so if the voltage the main uh the main power supply voltage which they call the b plus voltage on a monitor if it gets too high that means everything else is going to get high as well and if you have if the flyback is producing too much voltage you can have some harmful x-rays coming through so they have some circuitry in there to kill the monitor if the voltage is getting too high where it's it's the in the area where it could uh emit some x-rays so is this the same x-rays your mother warned you about not sitting too close to the tv <laughs> to, to the tv wonder how much of that is a old wives tale versus but they've had reality. kind of had the same circuitry in the old tvs as well right, right? exactly yeah, yeah. Huh. so yeah. it was a possibility yeah. but they obviously figured it out. I, I think they, they didn't went. want us hurting our eyesight. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's what it was. Actually, they just wanted to get us up out of the house and go do something. <laughs> yeah, so go outside and play. play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it could be this uh, X-ray protection circuitry. And whenever you, you know, we mentioned earlier about doing a cap kit on a monitor. After doing so, many times you want to check your B-plus voltage. B-plus is kind of a generic term for the main power supply voltage rail in a monitor and it's going to vary from one manufacturer to another but you'll find in the schematic what they want it to be sometimes it's up around 170 that's a pretty common voltage and you know plus or minus from there and they will have there will be a potentiometer on the uh it's on the on the pc board somewhere that will let you adjust that voltage. So, you know, that's a good starting point. If you have, um, now I'm going to kind of keep this a little bit generic. So if you, you know, if you hear it turning on and shutting back off, that's one possibility. Another possibility is the horizontal output transistor could be bad. And that's a transistor. Usually it's mounted on the on the metal of the monitor frame and it's responsible. Well, it does a couple of things. It it gives you the horizontal deflection, but it's also kind of the uh, it's the transistor that pulses the uh, flyback to give it an AC voltage, so it can produce the high uh, high voltage for the anode and the uh, and the grids, the focus and, and screen grid. So you know you could have a problem with that as well. But I I would start with the 
uh, B plus voltage. If that looks good, I would uh, then look at replacing the hot, the horizontal output transistor. They're, those are relatively inexpensive. If you start working on monitors, you'll find that you can have. There's just a handful of well, there's not that many models of uh, not not that many part numbers of the uh, of the hot. So you can keep you know you know ten common ones uh, there. And uh, you know most of the most of the monitors will use will use uh, just kind of the same ones. Um, anything you want to add to this or talk about, Rusty, no, on this no, one? I, I would, as you said, it, try to adjust the B plus. If that doesn't, I'd go with a with the cap kit and then try to adjust the B plus. Right. Again and see. Circling back right. to our previous conversation, yeah. cap kit. It's just amazing how much. Uh, just replace, you know, you're almost, you know, I would say 97% of monitor problems can be resolved by doing a cap kit uh, and or a new flyback and or a horizontal output transistor. There are other problems, and I've seen a lot of other problems, but that that's that's going to catch almost everything. Yeah, 90% of the problem is going to be there. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. I agree. Well, I agree. All right. I'll do the next one. I'll uh, let you read this one. There we go. It's, it's, a, it's a great big one. Sam, I, <laughs> Sam says, I have a multi-cade arcade, and it's playing blind. The board has no fuse. Will this be a problem in the monitor of the whole board? Thanks for the reply. Well, Sam, thanks for the answer, actually. Um, you said you had a multi-cade arcade, and it's playing blind. Well, if it's playing blind, it is the monitor. 95% of the times, it's the monitor. Because if the game's playing blind, it's happy. Guys, you got to remember that a monitor is nothing but an output device. It doesn't talk to anything. It doesn't affect the game. If the game the game is spitting data out, the monitor's taking it and displaying it to you. Right. So if it's playing blind and everything on the game's working, you need to go back and look at the monitor. Now, the only problem that it could be is that if the connector has come off of the... Um, that connects the game to the monitor itself for some reason or wiggled loose or whatever. But generally that's not the problem. It's always, cause we always look and see if it's plugged in. Right. But is it, if it's playing blind, it's probably going to be the monitor. Another good way to tell that generally you can pull the, uh, if the, you can pull the cables off and if you can turn up the, uh, the screen on the flyback, you should see raster. You should see something right. on some screen. And, and raster is basically just means the whole screen is going to be a solid color. Like you can crank up the red, green, or blue. Or, or, or as you said, crank up the brightness. If all the red, green, and blue are set like they should be, you'll get just kind of a light, a, a light white screen. Now, I'm going to add a little bit to this. Uh, you... Sam mentions he has a multi-game arcade board. Now, that could be anything, but the most common one would be the 60-in-1 board. Um, and if he does, if you Sam, if you do have the 60-in-1 board, that has two different video outputs. You've got your normal uh, CGA output. CGA would be the resolution that would go to a, a old-style, tube-style um monitor and it also has a vga output which would be going to like a computer monitor and uh, you know just for the sake of seeing if uh, you do have output on the game board i would hook up a computer monitor to it those those little game boards do have a jumper on them to select cga or vga and you have to you know move the jumper over but that would at least let you know 
if uh, you're getting output on the uh, VGA output of the of the game board. And most of the multi-game boards have that same feature. They have two different types of output depending on what type of uh, screen you're using. And uh, and it's not like it picks one or the other as the output. It's just changing the sync rate. So it if you select VGA and you have your two uh, monitor connected, it's, it's still going to show. It's just going to have some very odd-looking scan lines on it. Um, so anyway, I, w- I would try that one as well. Are we ready to move on to the next one? Yeah, let's let's jump down. What is that? Kids? That's I from think? Kids. Yeah. Go ahead. You want to? Yeah, you let me, me read that, that one. one. Okay. The kids. The kids, kids ask. ask. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a service my arcade game today. That was interesting. Service my arcade game today. I wonder where that is. And I noticed the screen was shaking. I guess it has Parkinson's. <laughs> I reset the game, oh. and I now it's just lines across the screen. I've tried adjusting the contrast, and that didn't do much. Any ideas? Well, again, what's the favorite favorite thing to do? Drop a cap kit. That's where I would try to look at yeah. first. But it depends on what the shaking kind of is. You need to... Right. Yeah. And, of course, you know, it'd be nice to have a little video of this. But, you know, a lot of times you'll see this kind of, I guess you would call it a slow, rhythmic, uh, almost like it's dancing a little bit. Uh, and... That will generally come from ripple in your power supply. Ripple meaning that you, your DC voltage uh, to your game board, and even within the monitor, there's some filtering, power supply filtering going on. It should be just a solid uh, DC voltage. But what can happen, it seems like the, I think the word of the day is capacitor. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, if you have some bad capacitors in the power supply, it can induce ripple into your power supply voltage. So if you looked at, uh, you know, if you take your meter and measure it, it's, you're not going to s- see it on your DC setting, but you can cheat a little bit. You can flip your meter over to AC and measure your DC line. Now, it will that will show you how much ripple you have. In other words, if you have, you know, your common supply voltage for your game board is going to be five volts you're going to have a few other voltages there but what most everything is running off of is this five volts dc and if you put your meter on ac and measure that same line you should get i would say 30 millivolts or less and if you see anything higher than that that means that there is some ac voltage kind of superimposed or added to that dc voltage and that's what we call the ripple and you can that will manifest itself as waviness in the monitor. Now it could come from the power supply for the game board. It could be kind of induced through the signal going to the monitor, or it could also be the monitor itself because your monitor also has a power supply in it, and it has to filter that. Just as we talked about the B plus voltage earlier, you have that has that voltage has to be. Um, filtered and so it's a nice smooth dc voltage so that would be my where i would start is the uh, capacitors first in the power supply for the game board but then after that in the monitor itself you know and it's interesting because we talked about the caps we had a a multi-cade game that would run it was a uh, a main game that was actually running our fix it felix okay at the arcade and that computer stopped working. Actually, a computer that was in it that stopped working, 
And we were trying to figure it out. We're not big computer guys. So we said, hey, let's bring Brian Goss in. And Brian just, he's just a computer. He just knows. He came in, looked at it, pulled it apart. And guess what was wrong on the motherboard? What was wrong? Two capacitors. Oh, was <laughs> Replaced it? Replaced two caps, put them on, board booted up, new computer, like run like a new computer now. And you know, Back we're on the floor. Now that flat screen TVs have been out for, you know, 10 years, you know, started off with mainly the plasma screens yeah. and into the LCD screens. Well, for several years, there were problems with the manufacturing process of electrolytic capacitors. And many of those flat screen TVs get some of those kind of low grade, low, oh. uh, and you, so many people have, will see these TVs on the side of the road that are for the trash man that, you know, they're not cracked, but they just don't turn on. And it's the power supply in them. Pick but them up, replace all the capacitors. Yeah. Ha. Yeah. I know a lot well, of people have, that have done that. It's, uh, so, you, you know, know, I think I see a post a week on Facebook. Hey, found TV on the side of the road. Put it up. New caps. Got a new TV. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. All right. I think it's on to the next one. Let's, um, let's take this one from Lou. I just picked up an NFL Blitz NBA slash NBA Showtime combo cabinet. When I start the game, it only plays in all red. What could this be? Plus, my joysticks and buttons are not working. I bought the game like this. Okay, so let's attack this one one section at a time. When I start the game, it only plays in all red. We're going to make an assumption here that he's not just looking at a solid red screen, but okay. the, he can actually see the gameplay, but the only color that he sees is red. Because it only plays. And so plays may be the, the optimum word there that it's actually playing. You can see the little guys running around, but they're all red. Right. So we're going to make an assumption. We're not going to talk about what Bob Newhart says about making assumptions, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you're our age, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> that the color, the red is working properly, but the green and blue are just simply missing. Or it could be perhaps that the red has just kind of saturated the screen, but we're going to just assume that the other, other colors are missing. So the first thing that comes to mind is that it's going to be just a bad solder joint. And... You know, there's a couple of places that you can look uh, on your monitor board for this, but you don't really have to go very far with it. I would be suspicious of the connector, the game, the where you actually connect the from the game board to the monitor. It's um, it's going to either be like a five pin or a five pin plus a three pin, but it, it's you know going to be pretty obvious. Um, I would check the solder joints on that. There, you know, you, you might you may need to take the whole chassis out of it, the whole uh, uh, monitor PC board. Maybe not, just depending on what what which one which uh, monitor you're talking about. But also, I would check the neck board. You've got a small, usually kind of rectangular or square board that's on the back of the neck, the CRT tube, all the way at the back of it, and it. And luckily, the way it faces you, you see the solder side of it so you know you can go through and kind of check get your magnifying glass out and check all the solder joints on that the color handling of a monitor most of it's done on the neck board only a little bit of it is done on the main pc board part of it um so that's what i would check as far as the the red it you know it could be that your game board is the problem but it's just not as likely as the as it being the monitor not on a newer game like that i think on the older games you might see that but on a newer game like this, they're they're pretty solid on getting the colors to the to right. the screen. Right now, he does mention his joysticks and buttons are not working. You know, this one is 
actually should be pretty easy. You want to follow the wires from the uh, from the panel from the control panel back to the game board. Of course, low hanging fruit is it is it plugged in? You yeah, know, follow the wires. Exactly. Is it, is there any break? Is there a you know is there a uh, Molex connector up under there that lets you you know take it loose the uh, whole control? You know, they make these where you can take the whole control panel off. And so there's going to be a Molex connector uh, in there somewhere. You know, make sure it's you know all connected. That's the you know that's the easy yeah. stuff. Well, you know, and and to to really follow on to that, uh, it says my joysticks and buttons are not working. Generally, the way these games work, and a lot of the control panels work, is that every connection, every switch, either on the joysticks or the button, are have individual power lines if you will and there is a solid ground wire right. that feeds them all so if everything's working fine and then all of a sudden they all don't work and they're all still plugged in go to go to the ground because right. you're that's looking the common between that's all the, common the switches between the two that's right you want to look at what's common between your problems so if your problem is 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 you've got several things, and yet there's something in common. Look for that first, because that's and the ground in this case is is I think where your problem's going to go right side. Right. So follow it all the way back to the you know, and all you have to do is look at the back of where all the uh, sw- micro switches are, um, and you'll see that there's one wire that just jump. It may not be black like you're used to seeing a ground wire. It could be whatever color, but you're going to see one wire jumping to all the switches and follow it back. Put your get grab your voltmeter put it on continuity and check continuity all the way back it's it's very likely to just be a simple you know bad connection a, a broken you know that ground wire broken you know somewhere um th- that should be a an easier fix yeah yeah you know and the other thing you can do if if you want to know whether it's up in the controls in the you know in that wiring circuit if you can get to the where the the things actually plug in where the joysticks and stuff plug in you can short between the ground and just touch one of the other right. other connection points when i was working on the dartboard that we talked about earlier all the little circuits came back to one big long pin and you were able to put a clip and be able to test it just by touching those buttons and that helped know that all the insides working but it's just the wiring, and you know what stuff. you said is, of course. Now in this situation, when all when well, let me word that differently, when none of none the of buttons, none of the joysticks are working, what I'm about to say is not going to be applicable. But if you have, say, one button that's not working on your control panel, or or, or yeah. your joystick up down, that you can that method where you talked about where you can um, short it out. That's that'll let you know if it's a bad micro switch or if it's you know a problem elsewhere somewhere in your wiring yeah. or you know back at back at the uh, board itself yeah yeah okay you ready to move on to the next one i've, I've lost track where are we oh we're down here let's see Wait, are we with brian brian yeah you want to you want me to read this one or are you gonna <laughs> well you know this was one we talked a little bit about us we talked a little bit about it before we got started here as we discussed some of these to so kind of pre-op some of this but this is going to be an interesting question oh yeah this one's going to uh, be a little bit deeper yeah a little bit deeper um but let's just touch on it real quick and then we'll just move off we can't i don't think we're going to totally resolve the problem uh it'd be better if we had pictures of the screen but brian says i recently bought a centipede arcade and not all the colors are showing up depending on what level you're on now by that statement i'm going to assume that 
when you start the game, everything looks great. It's only when you start playing the game and down the thing, then you see something different. The next statement says, sometimes you can see the centipede and other items, but sometimes you can see, you just see the outline. Okay, yeah, this, this one, like I said, it's going to be a little bit uh, deeper, but we can at least talk about the architecture of... So this is a centipede, which is made by Atari. Now, this these Atari games... Uh, usually don't have uh, the color proms in them. So a lot of games, like your, the Bally Midway games, like uh, many of the manufacturers would have these little, uh, this almost like an EEPROM. It's a little bit smaller, doesn't have the little window, but they use it to give you the color palette, like your 16-color color palette. And if you're missing certain colors, that's you know the first thing I go to. Is the is the color prom bad? Uh, Centipede doesn't have it, but you still have circuitry that does handle that. That handles the colors. So the you know, you, you're going to start at the easiest things to check, which would be the EEPROMs. Now, it, unless you have, there's a couple of ways you can do this. If you've got a good uh, working Centipede board that you could borrow from somebody, you can swap EEPROMs out on it. If you uh, have an EEPROM burner, you can pop, you know, take out the uh, take out the EEPROMs and read them in your burner, uh, or you can just order. Uh, you know, it's you can order new EEPROMs, but that's really spending money that you may not need to spend because yeah. you, you're not guaranteed that that's the problem. But sometimes, and I, I want to touch on that because sometimes, Eric, I think that we we may try to go the cheap route. And take us longer to figure something out when you can buy a whole set of EEPROMs for this game, probably, what, 20 bucks? Well, maybe 25? Perhaps a bit, yeah, maybe more, more than that. I haven't never tried to buy these. But but some games, you can buy a whole set of PROMs for, for 20 bucks or less. Maybe it's better just to throw the 20 right. bucks at it, get thrown in there. So, so you really have to make your judge, your own judgment on that. But Okay, so another thing I want to talk about since it's an Atari game is they do have a test like there's like a little toggle switch you can flip uh, inside the uh, coin door and lets you get into a, a setup menu but it's also like a get does some game test does some memory tests all oh, they all have these little beep codes on atari but you also have a video test and uh, that that might be helpful to let you narrow down where the um, you know what if it's a particular color that's bad if it's a you know if it's a particular sprite that's bad you need to narrow it down to exactly if it's well actually exactly what i just said is it a color is yeah. it a sprite is it uh you know part of the you know uh, where where is where's the bad and you know those test menus give you a good those atari test menus will let you figure out which one it is yeah um so anyway that's uh that's that's where to, as far as we can get with that one Without actually seeing this, yeah, the screen, yeah, or the screen. really or uh, not so it. not so much the screen of playing it, but more so the the setup menu screen yeah. of uh, the output on it. Yeah. Let's jump on to the next one. This next one is from Oscar. I just picked up a Tekken Tag Tournament. Tekken Tag Tournament. Yeah. Tekken Tag, Tekken Tag Tournament. Tournament. This past weekend. I've been adjusting the colors and can almost have a perfect picture except for the red. I can't get it to show. I'm hoping it's an easy fix. So 
what I'm taking from this is that uh, green and blue work, but there just simply is no risk. Kind of the opposite of that that previous yeah. question. In fact, it's exactly the, the opposite. opposite of the previous yep. question. So I'm going to just kind of go back and reference that. Check your solder connections on the input pin. The uh, the uh, it's the point one five seven spaced uh, pins, Molex pins on the input to the uh, monitor chassis, as well as the solder joints on the back of the neck board. Um, and uh, you know you can also try kind of while the game is on, you can you know carefully and with a a non metallic device, you can kind of wiggle that. Um, the input to the monitor as well as you can kind of poke around on the back of the neck board and have your buddy around on the other side, see if you ever see any of the red kind of pop in and out. And that'll let you know for sure it's a bad solder joint, but it is. Um, and it, that that's going to be more of kind of an intermittent uh, problem that you, if, if you have an intermittent problem, if it's, you know, if you never, if you don't get anywhere with doing that, then it's going to come down to like the the drive transistors on the neck board. I got a way to test it. Yeah. Oh, I, I got a way to test it. Okay. Oh, you got it. So you need to get a little bit of screwdriver. You need to pull that, make the machines machines off. Pull off the wires going from the board to the monitor, and you'll notice the wires are almost every one of them are red, green, blue, and then a ground. Reds first, green, then blue. Pull the little pins out. Swap swap, swap red with one of the, with either one green, of the other, green or, or blue, blue and put it back and then see what you get. Do you have red now, but you don't have blue? Well, if you do, you have a yeah. So you know th- this will let you know is. if you have a problem with your game board, board not outputting putting. red, or if it's a problem with your monitor. And then you know where to go. There's also another little trick. This one's a little bit more in depth. Uh, but you can actually the the gun the CRT gun, you know you've got you know so many connects you've got red green blue you've got a ground you've got um, heater you've got two two uh, wires for the heater, uh, and you have grid one one two and three or zero one and two or one you know a uh, three three grid line. But anyway, you can take the red green or blue inputs and you can ground it and that will give you full color of whatever whichever gun you've selected the tricky part is knowing where to ground it you don't ground it to the metal chassis that's that that could be catastrophic (laughs) but if you know where the ground on your circuit board is you can do that it's just a little bit of a cheat that's a little bit more advanced yeah. Uh, you really need to know your way around uh, the schematic and the board and the silks. You need to kind of check out the silk screening on the neck board to know what you're looking at. Know what all the different you know symbols, you know all the what everything means on there. Yeah. But uh, that's that's another thing you can do. Yeah. All right, let's let's jump on. Oh, you know what we have here? What do we we have? have a pinball question. Oh, that's awesome. We love pinball questions. I love we need more pinball questions. <laughs> so do you want to Yeah, let's this run one? this one. Hey, my 1978 Playboy pinball machine was working on free play. Then I put a coin in it. See, you're not supposed to pay <laughs> for that. Not now I don't know how to put it back on free play since it has only has the one button and no buttons inside the coin door. 
Let me know if you have any ideas. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> okay. Bally 1978 pinball machine. So solid state Bally pinball machines came out in 77. Yep. Um, and basically had the same kind of uh, circuitry in them on up until about 83 or so. Guess what? There is no free play setting on a Bally MPU, factory MPU uh, board. Now, I word it like that because they do make aftermarket MPUs for that game. Uh, Alltech is the one I use. I actually have them in all of my Bally pinball machines that do allow you to have free play, but... <clears throat> but as it comes, it does not have free play, and there's really no hack to make it free play other than you, you can cheat a little bit. There's there's a few different ways you can do this. The most common way of doing it is setting your replay to its lowest possible setting, which is 10,000. And you can uh, actually you have three different replay levels, so people will set them at 10, 20, and 30,000. And you're always going to get... Everybody wins a game. Everybody's a winner. Step right <laughs> up. Everybody's winner. <laughs> yep. But that's basically how you put the Bally... The Williams games, you can put them on free play, but the Bally, you can't. And that's kind of the way... Uh, I've heard of people stacking an extra set of uh, leaf spring, uh, leaf switches rather, on the back of the credit button. Because on the front of the, the Bally pinball machines, you only have one button. That's the... That's the start game button. Uh, so, you know, you either can set it for the low replay value. You can also, and uh, what I'm about to say, I'm not recommending this unless there's already a hole in the front of the game. Some people will put a credit button on the front, but if it's not there already, you're, you know, it's kind of defacing the, uh, the coin door a bit. Or you can also go the route of the aftermarket MPU, the Alltech MPU. Yeah. And which will allow you to have free play on it. Well, and and let's let's talk about that a minute with the different board sets and things. Now he's obviously got a working board set here, so you know I don't know if I would jump into a an all tech or not. But folks, when you've got a pinball machine, you got to understand that that changing out the original board set and going with a modern replacement Alltech does not decrease the value of the machine. It actually makes the machine a little more valuable because people don't, when people want to buy a machine, they want it to work. They, they want, want it, it reliable. They want it reliable. And having the original board set, and it's all original machine, for people that really know, we're you know well that's great. But if it had an Alltech, I'd be happier. Exactly. <laughs> so, but you have to make that play. The Alltech. How much is an Alltech board for? Two hundred. Two hundred bucks. So you got to make a choice. You spend two hundred bucks on an Alltech and solve all your problems, or that are in board it's, related. It's, yeah, right. <laughs> or or do you you know if it's a simple replace a tip one hundred two transistor and it costs you fifty cents, obviously you don't want to replace your whole board for you know, a 50 cent part, but if, how much time do you want to spend on it when you can just spend it on a board, get 200 bucks, get a board, get it running. So, and don't, don't, don't worry about it reducing the value of the machine because it's not going to. Right. Right. And Rusty, I think we're going to stop at this question and move on to the interview here in just, just a moment. So how, well, what do you think? How do you think this went? Well, I seem to enjoy it. The crowd just loved it, Eric. 
I mean, there are so many smiling faces out here. Everybody, you know, they're they're stifling the applause. And but but I, I but I really think it was the liquor that got everybody excited. <laughs> the free liquor. The free liquor. Yes, that that tends to make people enjoy the show more. Excellent. Well, I had fun, and hopefully you did as well. Absolutely. And once again, I, I would like to hear some feedback on some tech topics that we could possibly use for the next episode. Anything you guys, even if I don't know it, I'll I'll learn it just so that we can talk about it. Absolutely. And, you know, I have no problem at all in admitting that I don't know something because I don't. I don't know everything. There are people so much smarter than me, and Eric, I, I'm always leaning on Eric to try to help resolve some of my problems. But there's other people in this community around here that I know that are specific questions. If I have a vector monitor problem, I'm calling my buddy Callan. That's just going straight right. to him. He's right. going he's going to fix it. I know the man knows his stuff on when it comes to those vectors. And you know, so so don't be afraid to to admit that you don't know. Don't be afraid to get in here and work on your machine. As we talk about these things, don't forget. One it can of, be intimidating. When it, you first open it up and you look at things that you've never seen before and you don't know what part is what, it can be overwhelming. It really can. You know, and, and, and one of the things I had to start learning with, one of the first big projects I worked on was a 1974 Rockola jukebox. And you open it up and there's just so much in there. And I ended up with the way that I managed to, to get my head wrapped around it was is realizing that everything inside that electrical mechanical jukebox pinball, it's processes. And every process has an input, an action, and an output. And if you start looking at individual processes, what's not working, and let's go look at just that process and where are the components that drive just that process, now you've reduced it down to something your brain can get around. Right. And I think it's the same way on these video games and pinball. Just reduce it down. What's not working? Or as Dan first told me the other day, what is not working correctly? It may be what you may have something that's not working, but something else isn't working correctly. That could be your clue as to why the other piece isn't working. So you kind of have to look at all those, those pieces and how they're interrelated. Right. And you know, when you, we were talking about the 1978 playboy pinball machine, pinball is a good example of, of something that looks incredibly complicated, but really hasn't changed that much over the years. No. Once you understand what's going on with it, it it looks complex. And you know what? It is complex, but it's easy to understand. What, and it doesn't, you know, it's it's the same system for, you know, years and years. It's this, you look, you open up the play field, you know, open up the cabinet on a new Stern. It, you know, the, the brains of it, the MPU is different. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's the same solenoid, same switches, same light, same, you know, it, as it's always been. Yeah, we can set a, we can set a 1968 pinball machine, pull up the play field on it, put it next to a 19 or a 2000 pinball machine, pull it up and go, oh, look, that's where the flippers tie in. That's where the 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 slingshots are. That's where the thumper buttons. And they all look exactly the same from 30 years ago. It's just how the brains and how it drives. Right, right. Well, good deal. Well, this was fun, and we're going to jump on into the interview next. See you guys in another month. Hey guys, we are in the Game Preserve Classic Arcade in the Woodlands, which is actually the northern part of Houston, uh, with the owners, or two of the owners of the arcade. We have Ken Graham and Rusty Key, 
Uh, first of all, thank you for for joining us. Glad to be hey, here. Hey, Rusty. Thank you for having us. Hey, Ken. And what we want to talk about in this segment is how this arcade was started. You've been in business now for uh, since 2013, right? Yes, we started in January and 2013. You've, you've kind of had to morph into what what you started as to what you have now. And I want to talk about the process of how you got to where you are now. Uh, all the all the changes you had to make to uh, make this a successful business. Uh, sure. Just thought it'd be really interesting to see what a modern day uh, version of an arcade goes through to become successful. Yeah. We've had our challenges, that's for sure. So, Rusty, since uh, you just spoke up, you, this was your idea back in uh, starting in 2012, right? That's correct. Back in November 2012, I had been in the collecting uh, games for a little while, probably about three years. I was pretty much of a novice, but I had collected enough that I had a storage unit, and I have. they were in my garage, they were in the kitchen, they were in the living room, and I wanted to have some way to, because I knew there was other people in the same situation, how do we get them out of there to where people could actually enjoy them and play them, instead of just sitting dormant. That's our main goal, and has always been our goal, is and is today, to get these games out in front of people to where they can play so them. So your initial goal was really just to get your games out of the house where you at least you could play them, right? Well, yeah, it, it was more of... You didn't didn't have the room, and you couldn't move around the house because your house was just. Of course, full of you can games. play. You can play the games in your house, but sure. once you amass so many games, it's it's uh, not realistic. It's you, not realistic, and you and of course we had some in in the garage or in a storage unit. I had a storage unit that had some games in it, and I had some rather large games. I had a skee ball machine at the time, which really took up a lot of room, as you can imagine, and um, you know that was. That, and talking to other people that I had met through the online forums, um, they all seemed to be expressing the same thing. We have these games stuck in closets and in storage units and garages, and, and they're just, they never pull them out except for once a year at maybe the Houston Arcade Expo. So your, yeah. your initial goal was to start to get them out, and what, what did you, you started a, a thread on KLOV, right? Yes, I did. I did. And that was the thing. Hey, and all I did was, come on, I'm not the only guy out there. What can we do? And my initial thought was, let's just get a place to where we could, um, everybody just divide the cost. And the cost would be based on the number of machines you had there. The more machines. If we had 100 machines and you had five machines there, then you would pay 5% of the cost. So initially, this wasn't about having patrons at your business. It wasn't really so much a business, but just a collective effort to get all of your games together, have power to them, a place where you, all the, the collectors could get together and play your own machines. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it's more or less. And that was my original concept was to put something like that together to where everybody could come and play. But as we moved to it and started working with a couple of the folks that stepped up, Ken was the first one that stepped up and said, yeah, we thought about this before, and he threw out some ideas, and it was like, yeah, that's really probably not going to work, and um, which made us morph a little bit more into a, well, how do we do that? And the um, as we moved to the, the new model, that was where Ken kind of stepped up and brought some ideas to the table. So, Ken, you must have seen Rusty's thread on KLOV, or did you know yeah. him personally? Well, I knew time? him personally. I, I'd helped him get a, a Spectra 4. That's a 
a very unique pinball machine. Oh, that's machine. the pinball machine that rotates around. Yeah, the around. tabletop rotates around to the four different... Maybach Valley, the pool table company? Yes, right? exactly. Um, I helped him get it up and running, and so I knew Rusty. And then one of our other owners, Joe Reyna, and I had been looking to try and find some way of getting our games out of storage, just like Rusty was saying, where they're just rotting. And, and, and Joe's not with us, but Joe had an enormous or has an enormous has, amount of games yes and has been collecting for 20 25 years and just has been amassing these games in multiple warehouses they haven't been played in 30 years so sorry right. so he so he was involved with this and he was involved as well. yeah i mean the the basic idea of it was that we would get together once or twice a year with the hag show or tpf we'd go to the the storage units pull some games out go to houses pull some games out go to the show plug and pray because we had no idea if they were going to turn on or not so the idea was to get them out consistently all the time and we would know whether they were running or not um you know and, and as rusty said we went through a number of ideas one of which was just to be open on weekends um another one was that actually survived was to actually do it sort of on a, a membership basis, um, just like gyms or, or health clubs, things like that. And we wanted it to be a service to the, the arcade community here in Houston and, and anybody in Texas that was coming through so that they'd have a place to come and hang out. And, and yeah, there were games. Right. So by the time that the three of you got together, uh, the, the two of you with Joe you had already decided that you would allow members to, you could be, become a member and be a part of it as well. Yeah, and even then, the membership, part of the membership was also available where we would have, um, if you had machines, your membership dues would be less or would be... There so was, if you provided a machine, a couple of machines, the pricing structure would change according to how many you brought in. Absolutely, and that, and that was some of the rendition and the ideas that we went through. But what we discovered... As we started putting this together and we got ready to open up the very first night, what we discovered is everybody just wanted to come play our games. Right. <laughs> it's too much trouble to drag your machines out and keep it there and put that. I just want to come. And we had, between me and Ken and Joe, we had a pretty large collection. Right. Um, and then as we moved toward that, as we uh, started getting ready for our our first um really grand opening we we started this in november it really started fleshing out in december we signed a uh lease um we signed a lease early with a storage unit over where joe's um father-in-law has a location it was just an office warehouse 1900 square feet and um so we signed it in to start that, and as we started moving to that, we, of course, again asked, hey, is there anyone else out there interested in being part of this? There were several people that did, um, and we actually went through a vetting process of which ones we wanted, and it was more of how did their ideas match up with ours. Um, there was some folks that was really interested, but they wanted to bring uh, alcohol service into the mix, and we... The 
three of us early on said we did not want to do alcohol. Yeah, we wanted to run an arcade. We didn't want to run a bar, and we didn't want to run this an is, es- this a is restaurant. All about arcade machines. It's all about arcades. Because there were at this time. This is this was 2013. Uh, barcades were really starting to come out then, and, and barcades are successful. They're still very successful, but that's not really what you guys were about, right? That is correct. That's correct. Neither one of us um, are not, not – we didn't want to be in the business of selling alcohol. That's not what we want to do, and that's I, – I really don't like doing that. So <laughs> so I'm, I'm really – you know, I, I don't want to do that. And, and, and we, we had all gone out at various times to the different barcades, and – Unfortunately, in a bar environment, people drink a lot. And when they drink a lot, they have a tendency to abuse the machines. And we really didn't want to get into a situation where our machines were being abused. Right. So used, this, used is one thing. Abused is another exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. So at this point, were you, were you wanting, expecting to make money? Or was this still just a, hey, we'll put our money together this is be our storage facility where we can play them and it will be subsidized by members but we're not really here to make money honestly if we could have um if we could have made money it would have been okay but we kind of knew we weren't going to and and it's for a small business to make money your first year anyway you're really lucky so you were expecting to be in the red for for a while while. at least for a while but the main idea again was was still at that same point of if we could have people that would pay we could make enough money to pay for the rent pay for electricity pay for and then allow us to keep machines up to fix new machines and get them running and and you know help our collection as we go through that was all good for us. That's what, That was really kind of the direction we went. So this first location, I think you told me previously that you signed a one-year lease on it. We did. Was it kind of like a testing ground to see how things would go? And it was. Decide it really was. And and our first-year lease, we, we did sign that as, as, as well, was this going to work? Well, I don't know. We might run out of money by then. And, and uh, so, you know, I put my name on the lease, and away we went. And, uh, of course, we made some pretty major investment. Well, what we thought at the time was major investment in um, the electrical systems and things like that to get that facility as best we could um, and get it up and running, and then away we went. And and since you were splitting this at this point, when you started, you had your fourth uh, owner come in. Joe uh, Joe Crookham came in. Yes. And so you... oh, so so back to that. Yeah, we talked about that a while ago. As we were talking about how we didn't want to. Um, we were looking for a partner that would mesh, that came in with the same ideas, that had the same drive, that understood that this isn't going to be something we're going to get rich on, this isn't something that you know we're going to be making tons of money on, and that we might even lose money on. Right. And um, so as we kind of looked at these, uh, the other person that came up was uh, Joe Crookham. And I believe Ken or you may have also yeah, known I, him I, as well. Yeah, I knew Joe and brought him in. Yeah. Um, he was running a, a small business, arcade business at the time, building that's arcade right. cabinets. That's cabinets. right. That's right. Uh, arcade and see, works. That, and that, that really helped spur my memory because that was the idea was that when we started that, that he could do his arcade build, sell his cabinets, whatever, in the background. Eventually, if we ever got to a bigger place, we would have kind of a 
dual business where we would have the arcade up front and then maybe making machines and Joe could put those with the CNC, whatever, and go from there. So that was kind of a good fit. And I had forgotten about that till you just mentioned it, Ken, that he had that. So that was really, um, so he really fit into the mix at that point. And one of the things we said at the very beginning was, you know, with those four guys we became a partner we weren't a we had a business plan on paper but we really hadn't filed or made a true llc or anything like that Just kind of a joint venture just kind of a joint venture between friends and one of the things we agreed on early on was that everything was going to be the same across didn't matter how many machines you had didn't matter how much of a money investment you had didn't matter how much time you put in Every owner has the exact same vote and same authority as every other owner. And we still run that today. Technically, it would be called a handshake partnership. Right. Now, as I was saying earlier, at this point, you had your your four owners, and you were not really expecting to make money. So, you know, each each month, you know, if, if you're... If you're in the red, everything's okay. But you, can, whatever the expenses are, you can split it four ways, so it's more manageable. It's more. Uh, we would like to say it was more manageable. Yeah, well, it was. To give you an idea, it was the end of the month. Rusty was our treasurer, and he'd call us in, and we'd all take out our wallets and we'd start putting money down on the table, saying, "Come on, Rusty, tell us to stop. Tell us to Sounds stop. Like the price is right, please. Yeah. Tell yeah, us it really to stop." Was a hiker. Yeah. Going up the mountain on the Price is Right game, yodeling, right? Yeah. So please we, stop, yeah, please yeah. stop. Don't we go were, over the edge. We had a little more control of our, our finances. We were watching them a little bit closer. But, but that is a very, very good analogy because at the end of every month, we would go through and say, okay, guys. Actually, about a week before the end of the month, I would go back and say, okay, guys. Here's where we're at. This is the amount of money we have in the bank. Here's the expenses that we have to pay within the next week or two, plus our rent. Add all that together. We all owe, divide it by four, and we all owe. And some of those months it was 100 bucks, but most of the months it was over $200 Do you apiece. remember at any point, let's say six months in, how many members you had? We started out uh, that first night. We I think we ended up with five, six, seven members, maybe ten. Oh, I was one of those. Yeah, we were one of those. <laughs> uh, we did, and we made Mr. Dan Ferguson uh, a lifetime honorary member. Dan has always done so much for the arcade community. Incidentally, Dan Ferguson is the owner of the Lone Star Pinball Museum. He's one of the pillars of the pinball community in houston which is exactly why we 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 stepped up and said dan you you just you're just going to be a member it's just all there is to it we we and that was one of the first easy decisions we made but uh so we had about 10 and then it slowly grew as we went through the summer the the members came and went but you got to remember we were in an office warehouse it, behind a locked a fence had, if, a as gate. a member you were given a gate we're given code. a gate code so you would know what the code was to get in and you know you you really, really wanted to be a member in order to be a member Those at our place. Those were the hardcore arcade Absolutely, and that's mostly what we had. That was mostly exactly. what it was. It was a social club for the it Houston was. arcade community with a few stragglers who then became part of that family. Um, but, yeah, that what Rusty said was one of the, the major obstacles that we had in that first location was that if somebody hadn't driven their truck through the gate and busted it, then we had to find some way of getting the code to the people 
so they'd drive up and they would phone in. And if you can imagine trying to listen for a phone ringing in an arcade, most of the time it didn't happen. So the first thing we'd find is this nasty gram on Facebook or somebody would email us saying, hey, we tried to get through and we couldn't get in. I seem to recall cars parking in the little area where it would trigger the gate yeah. to keep yeah. it open. Yeah, yeah. We, the sensor we did find off. a few tricks. Yeah, we did find a few ways to do that. But so, you know, and what was interesting about that is, as I said, we started paying every month. And um, we we were open only in the afternoons. We would open at 4 in the afternoon and go forward with it and uh four till ten during the week and uh we were always been closed on monday and um we did that for several months and building up and we could see but some of the things we learned too as we went through this we learned where the loopholes were in our business model we learned that when we what we did first was that with a membership an individual membership you got five guest passes well, what we learned pretty quick was somebody would come in, buy the membership, use bring their five the guest in. passes, bring five friends, and in. never, never see them again, right? And well, then no, the next time they would come in, again next month, and the next guy would buy one. The next guy would buy, and the next friend. So we, so there was, so then we had to augment our games. So there were several things that we learned as we went through that first year of not only that, but several loopholes, but also. How to manage the business? How to get it more of a more of a more legitimize this business? Okay, so it's coming up on the year lease end, and you've got to start making a decision. Do we want to stay here? Do we want to expand the company? What What were you thinking as you're getting close to that one year mark? Air conditioning. <laughs> oh yes, the front area. So just to kind of describe this yeah. location, there was a front area that could hold about ten pinball machines. It was about four hundred uh, square feet. Uh, and there, on the other side, there were about uh, six or seven video games and uh, a jukebox. And in the back, the much larger area where all the pinball machines were, all the rows of video games. That was really just a garage, like it had a big, a huge sliding. It's a, it's it was an a warehouse. office warehouse, right? It's a warehouse. And tin you, roof, and, yeah. and you had a little portable air conditioner in there. I remember that, but man, it's right, right here, sitting right but there. But <laughs> it could not. It could this not is Houston. Up. We even cut a hole. We even cut a hole in the in the AC unit that's supposed to go to the office because this wasn't really our place. We actually cut a hole in the side of the vent trying to get some of that air to dump into the things, and it just we had it we had was, about. Four layers of different yeah. insulation on the, on the door. door and, trying to cover. Oh yeah. man! It yeah, was... we did a lot. And so when you so to answer your question, yes, there were things that we thought about, things that we were moving in, and we're not just blindly going into the end of the year, right? So about September, October, uh, October, we knew the lease was coming up. We knew we were going to end. It was like, all right, so do we continue? Do we go? What do we? What's the next step? And and do we want to make the next step? Do we could? Uh, so we started looking for other places, and we knew location, 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 location. And uh, so we started looking around, and we found three or four different places we looked at. And the one that won out was located here in the woodlands across the freeway on I-45. It was in another office warehouse, but that one had previously been converted to a church. All right. So it had with a big stage with the big stage and the sanctuary and and which was great because in a church you have a lot of people so you have good AC 
So you had a decent air conditioning system over the top of the sanctuary and into there. So, hey, we had our AC. We had a big floor to put it in. They had left a projection screen there, and all the ideas started flowing. No gate. No, no gate. gate. Right in here in the 45. We, we did call it the uh, three times around the block club. Though. Oh, yes, yeah. because that feeder road. Fe- oh, by the way. Houston, we call them feeder roads. Everywhere else, it's a service road, road or, or a frontage, frontage road. road. Yeah. So on each side of the interstate, you have a one-way road, uh, and the speed of these feeder roads is it's oh, supposed to be, 60 if you're going slow. The speed limit is 45, but nobody <laughs> does that. And I believe they were not. They wouldn't allow you to put like a really large we sign. Couldn't no, put a we couldn't put any signs out. out front. And this office complex wasn't parallel to the roadway it was perpendicular so all you saw was this big brick end of the building with 15 foot high letters on it but it was so big people wouldn't read them so we had to give it by by uh locations you go past the storage place there's an apartment building slow down because you're going to turn right immediately and even if you knew where to turn it took you ten times of doing it before you really before you really knew oh, where it was at. at doing this. Yeah. So you found the found the new place. So we found a new place and and uh, we debated on that and of course it was a big jump right and it was another big time to come and sign another lease and it was at that point that we actually stepped up and said okay guys if we're going to do this then this is bigger money bigger funds. Where do I put we need to make a um, we need to make a um, a full LLC, and at that point we act because we had we needed some way to protect ourselves from we because we didn't know what was going to happen. Now it's it's no longer the local arcade community, but it's any Joe Blow that wants to come come absolutely. to your place. Absolutely, absolutely, and which is of course where the where we hope because through our business model we could see this could be a revenue generating or. A, situation we knew we could make some money we knew well we 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 weren't sure we were going to be able to make money but we knew that we we could get a lot closer to filling the hole you knew you could not make money at the exactly exactly and we knew we had a business model that would work we we've and i had enough confidence in the business model that i was willing and and the other guys were willing to take that big step and it was it was a big step i mean it was um, you know, three times the plus the rent, air conditioning, air conditioning, and the cost of that, the cost and, of that, and but hey, more machines, nicer place. We so this was you went from nineteen hundred square feet to well, that was what about five thousand? Was it was it was actually it was close to fifty five or six thousand square feet, but we only had about forty five hundred square feet usable. of usable space because was, the way it was it's, divided it was up, and off, it was sectioned lot. off. There's yeah, one large game room, and then things yep. spread out. And then we had a, a lobby and a kitchen area, and that's where. And then we had a room for a party room, and then of course we had big bathrooms, and it was a storage area in the back. So yeah, there was and it was a hallway, and there was other crazy things that it was divided up in a little workroom, and. But what was really cool about that place, again, it developed our business model. Because as we went through that place, we found things that worked. A workroom with windows. People right. are enjoying our arcade. Yeah. I don't know if they hear it in the screaming. background. That's yeah. because they're having such a good time. They're having a great location. time here. We hear this a lot. But 
the the workroom, the party room, having a lobby where chairs and places for people to sit, we realized those were good working things, and and so we were able to perpetuate those in the and having segregated men's and women's bathrooms yeah. instead of yeah. just one, one bathroom one with a long line in front and of it. there on a side note there was also a room that you know that the one the room that had the couch that had a little bit of history in it that's where uh david gomez did the 24-hour marathon on absolutely. robotron absolutely yeah. absolutely and the, the that was uh, our quiet we, room yeah we had we had a quiet room and again we tried to to mirror that here so there was there was a lot of things that we learned in that and and we got bigger and we learned more and we developed our business partnership um and and cemented it a bit more to where uh we really understood, and at that point, and we learned the the uh, uh, importance of talking to the fire marshal. Oh my God, yes! <laughs> oh yeah, because we we opened up, we got everything going. Well, we were cooking, yay! We were great. People were starting to come in. Month later, my daughter Hannah, who was working at there at the time, called me up and said, "Dad, the fire marshal's here." Okay, he says we have to close the doors. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? He says he says we can't be open. We don't have any permits. We he he he's putting a sticker on the door. We can't be open anymore. Well, that's great considering that we just put tons of money into this place, and now we have all the and we have this list of things that we have to do. And oh wow, it was it was I, really I scary. Was it was painful. Ele- it was mainly electrical, right? It was mostly, mostly electrical, electrical stuff, and um. The, the the exit signs, exit signs and, and fire extinguishers. Fire, fire extinguishers and things like this because and and I went over and I talked to the man I was a fireman for years and I went over and talked to the fire marshal and said hey you know let's let's really talk about what we need to do and he says well come here let me show you and we walked into the back room and he says now shut all your lights off and he says can you see to get out and I said no he says you've created a death trap here he says we kiss camp and I said I totally understand which really helped us add another piece to our business model and that is the safety of our customers right and the safety of our members and that now is really ingrained in everything we do so with the new you know so we it really made an impression on us and we'll talk more about that later right, as but, we progress yeah so you're in this location I, I think you were there what about two years well, one year one, one year. year just one, one year. year okay well, only one year so you you're there and at a certain point, you finally, without getting into the details of it, you are actually making money at this location, right? Yes. Yes. And I say that slow because we built up and we slowly built up. And it took four or five months. But then what was happening is we started making money and we started paying back some of the investment. And, if, and but, I'm going to interject for just, a se- for just a moment. All of you guys kept your day job there's it would Absolutely. have been it would have been impossible to jump into this expecting to make this your career at the at the time absolutely no absolutely you know the way you went into it knowing what you absolutely. knew it was yes you were constantly learning how this business would operate so you're you're now a year and a half into yeah. it before and again we're still open from four in the afternoon till 10 because we all had day jobs and we all went there later and and that was the time that we could could work and make it work the um but you know as we started making money we started trying to pay back the investment but also looking forward 
they told us when we signed the lease that they maybe have a potential buyer and they might do something different with the building. And we said, okay, well, maybe we'll just get to move into the other building. And that came not to be because they gave us 90 days. They came in and said, hey, you got 90 days, pack it up and move it. We're done. So things are going well you're not having to write a write out a check in your checkbook things are and that's really breaking even we were, yeah, ba- we were making we were, a little we bit but not enough even to- for i think it was the last month that we finally actually made a little bit of money but part of that was because we got all the deposits back i think yeah. more than we we are actually making money so the owner of the of the property comes and says to you and says, "Hey, we're we're about to tear this place down. You you have to go, right? That's what exactly that's what they said. They said we're going to tear this place down January second. So I asked, well, can we go month to month just until they actually do tear it down? And she started laughing. So yeah, I drove by on January second, and they had taken all the glass out of the buildings and were tearing the they roof were, off at oh, one it end. Was, it was gone. It quickly. was gone. It was gone really quick. It was gone really quick. And so." As we, as we in that place though, we learned a lot more. We uh, we ref, we keep refining our business model. Um, it was also in that location that we we established uh, more for each of the owners. Our individual, uh, we took our individual strengths and applied them to what they do. Uh, Ken is our technical IT. Um, machine technical person um joe crookham is our marketing guy now and he does all the facebook and all the posts joe reyna is our what we call our business development and our so he's he's out there actively either looking for machines or finding ways for us to uh be present in other things whether it's the houston arcade or as well TPF as the master or of ceremonies of yeah yeah <laughs> and every time we have a party or whatever he's the he entertainment loves director. yeah he's the entertainment person so so we all had our individual strength and i was i was the the accounting and business side of the piece and uh so that really so you had to make a decision at this point do you want to go do we want to shut things down we want to go forward? Or are we going to try to step things up? What? Well, that, well was, that was the decision that we all had to make. And that, this is a good point to bring this, this out. The whole time that we're doing this, everything we do has to be unanimous if it's a major decision. If it's a small decision like buying some parts, yeah, go buy the parts. But if it's a major decision like, hey, we want to put black lights over the, the arcade, Hey, we want to rearrange the furniture and do something different with this place. Hey, we want to pick up and move and go to a new location. Those all have to be unanimous decisions. And they're not always easy decisions. When we were looking for a new place, we thought we had found one. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but we all sat and we went through it. We all had some misgivings. And But we worked them out. We came to a conclusion that, yes, we could work with this location. And then the what I, everybody knows the story of how you boil a frog. Put Slowly a, bring the temperature up. Bring the temperature up. And that's what this landlord was doing. It started off as X. When we talked to him a week later, it was X plus $100 a month. The next week we talked to him, it was X plus $100 more above that. The next time it was X plus this. So finally, I mean, it got to a point where it was right at the threshold of, no, this is not workable. And they're, they're giving us all kinds of grief. And 
I think it was Joe Crookham who found this place, or it might have been Rusty, I don't remember which, or they may have both found it at the same time. I don't well, know. We won't yeah. talk about the pricing, but as far as the square footage goes, this is this is where 6,500 6,500. square 6,500. And it's laid out, well, you've got one large section of arcade area, uh, quite, uh, you've got oh, four or five bathrooms, uh, a kitchen, a party room. Well, t- well, so, so, so. And, and Ken was right. We we were looking at this other location, and then uh, we found out that the landlord over there was a crook. So we said, all right, we've got to get out. And I will not mince words on that, and I have no problem with it. Um, the uh, But we, we stumbled onto this place, and we were always looking for another location. And it just so happened this was a des- uh, an interior, interior and design. fabric design place, and they were moving out. But they had 9,000 square feet. And looking at how much we could afford, jumping from forty five hundred to at a at X per square foot to this location, which had nine thousand at X plus twenty percent, right? Wow, that's a big jump from something we were just barely making money at. But we got talked with the landlord, and what we did was we ended up negotiating a couple of things. One, we got said, all right, well, let's just cut it down to six thousand square feet because these are actually two to three thousand square foot sections sections that they could rent out individually that 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 the interior group had it all so we said well we can't use it all let's just right. cut that piece off and kept it each of each of them are complete they have their own electrical they have their own water and that's why so many bathrooms that's right <laughs> and so many bathrooms and so many electrical units and and things and so we we started looking at this but this is really where the other second location helped us by to do this one is we knew what to be prepared for we knew what to be prepared for we also knew that we wanted a big arcade room we wanted to have a lobby area we wanted to have a quiet area we wanted to have a work area with windows we wanted to have a dj booth we wanted to have the projection screen all those things we wanted that to have worked, a food area the food area yeah all those things that worked well at the second location again as we learned that helped us develop and to come into this location. And it here. was a big jump. I'm sure you had the same discussion then of like, okay, do we continue? Or are we going to, do we want to? It was all very scary. It was all very scary. And there were, there were, there were times because, you know, in this one, the previous location, the two previous two locations, it was one person could sign on the line and we're all good. But this location was so much better, it took two of us to actually sign and convince them that we could actually do this. And we put our personal assets up as to, to go in and do this. I'm and sure it was very scary. It was. Into, it really was my, scary. My signature is really shady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, the, the, uh, and, of course, for the other folks, you know, um, the other, you know, there was, there was a lot of consternation. Wow, do we do this? And then we said, okay, so we found this location. We said, okay, we can do this. We can make it work. But let's go get the fire marshal first and bring him in. Once again, everything you learned from the previous location, you put in practice here. Into practice here and said, hey, we learned a hard lesson there. And we brought them, which was really funny because we went and talked. I went and talked to the guy, to the fire marshal, and called him and said, well, we don't do that. And I said, well. I said, you come in after and just shut us What's down. What's the difference? I yeah. said, let's not do – I said, I want to work with you. I want to make sure my people are safe. I want to make sure my members are safe, that everybody's good. I said, I know, I think, what we want to do. I said, but let's come in and let's really make understand. And him and his his deputies showed up one day. There was actually three of them came out. They were excited about that we actually wanted to do that. And they actually are doing that now. They are actually telling oh, people wow. now – 
let us help you. Let us get in front and help you do this because they their have goal failed. is not to shut a place down. Their goal is to make everything safe. They hated shutting us down. He said, man, I hated doing that to you, but I can't let you kill anybody. Right. And I said, well, let's let's. So so yep. now they're actually working better and they will work with you if you call them now and say, hey, let's let's get this. And the fire inspectors come out and do that. But the bad thing about this was we had the place we'd signed. We got everything to sign on the line. He came in. He says, well, he said, with the number of people you have and a number of things, your fire, the walls, the the walls that, you know, the separation the, walls the between wall the, the locations, between your spot and the other spaces, they're one-hour firewalls. They have to be two-hour firewalls, which means you now have to put two layers of five-eighths-inch core fire-rated sheetrock from floor to deck, from floor to ceiling, which is 20 foot up. And we were like, Okay, how much is that going to be? And we started pricing and went, holy crap, the, now we're in trouble. And and we had so much money put out, it was like, all right, well, so we had another partner, that another person that had been interested in joining us and helping us and doing things. And uh, we were talking with him. He seemed to fit in group, good, good with the group. And um, he had a little bit of influx of cash that could help. And uh, he was willing to do that. And essentially what we did was we all sold a portion of our investment. And then Danny Caswell purchased that. And now Danny's a minor owner of the things. But I say Danny's a minor owner, but he still gets the 100% say. He gets a full vote. He gets a full Full, full count of everything else. So um, he, his his opinion matters just as much as anybody else. So you've been stuff. here, this was, what, about two years ago that you moved to this location? Almost two three and a years. Half. Two and a half. It's almost three years now. Right. And, you know, this has been a great location. This is has. close to the interstate, high visibility. Lots. We're here on a Saturday night, 930. It's a full crowd out there. Um Music's playing just like yep. it is every every Saturday night. Every it's, Friday uh, and Saturday night. Yeah, we seem to have a lot better crowd here. The uh, Of course, people can see us. They find us. They drive by. We have big signs out front. We've got a big sign up front. But but the uh, besides Danny helping us, we also went back to the landlord and said, look, we want to do this, we can do this but the problem is we're going to need some more cash. So they actually gave us some cash to help defray the to cost, outfit the, to uh, outfit location. the things and get it all going. But... To tell you how good that was, the location is, and its location and how we run it and the things, eight months, everything was paid back. We were debt-free in eight months, and we paid all the original investments that all the owners made, and we all made a lot. Every bit of that was paid back within eight oh, months. Oh, that's, that's great. And you guys are all still at your – you're still with your day job. You still have your primary uh, – well, four out of five of us. Four, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I got laid off, but but that was a good thing for me. I'm at, I'm at an age in my time when I was I was okay with that. But I still have a day job because I created another arcade business that I actually do repairs and things. Is but again, I just run it like I want. But I'm kind of semi retired now. But again, shameless plug. It's it, named <laughs> Key Arcades. <laughs> well, it's over in Spring. Yeah. The uh, but you know it, and I try to do what I can over there. <laughs> but um, it's still very much a, a – I don't say it's a part-time for all of us, but it's still a difficult thing to get to, – to have your day job and to run this as well. 
But we've changed a lot since we've moved here. Originally, remember, it was my daughter running, Hannah, and Hannah, she worked for free. Well, <laughs> she on my payroll, but she <laughs> she worked for free uh, for our first year or so. So when we moved here, we actually started bringing in employees. And now we actually have a full payroll with uh, four staff employees. We had one tech. If we can ever keep a good tech, uh, they keep getting better offers to go to their <laughs> real jobs. But uh, we usually have four to five employees, and it's all full payroll with direct deposit. And we're doing everything really on the up and up. And, you know, we have it, – it's been a, a great thing for us. We've really developed the business a lot better now. Right. seems like it would be tough to just jump into this uh, with the intent of making money. Uh, you guys had a really good formula. I mean, it was it worked out well that you were able to join in with other people. Uh, didn't re- you know re- have to lean on this to be your primary income, and it has now a successful venture. Uh, but because of and of course you've learned, as you said, you've you've learned a lot of lessons throughout the journey. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a there's a couple of lessons that if you're just coming in to make money. One of the issues you're going to run into real quickly is keeping the machines running. If you aren't able to, to fix the machines, then you're going to have to pay somebody. And that's a huge expense. Um, for all of us, we have our various things that we enjoy. And like Rusty enjoys the electromechanical machines. And so he's very good at fixing those. Um, That's because you're old, right? Yeah, it is. It's nah. because I'm very old. Well, I'm older than he is, and I don't like him at all. I like the solid-state stuff, so it has nothing to do with age. Anyway, um, I fix the solid-state stuff. Um, so Joe Crookham, in addition to being an excellent woodworker, has turned into our monitor repair person. Um, Joe, and Joe Reyna's actually learned it, he's, and he's learned to fix some monitors. And he's actually, he called me up the other day, hey, I got this, I recapped this monitor, and away it goes. And he was so happy and so proud, and I'm proud of him. I, he's, he's really stepped up. Joe was just a, a collector, and, and turn it off, turn it on, turn it off, turn it on. Hey, it's up, yay, it works. Or and, yeah, we, plug we taught him how to, re- how to reseat everything. the connectors yeah. and, and reseat the and ROMs. he has really come a long ways, and... and and it's fun to watch him work, and, and, it, and it's fun to see the excitement on any of us, really. We get a game up and running and make it work. But Ken is right. When you get – if you plan on stepping into doing this, there's a couple of things you need to just totally be understand. You better have the machines. And they're not machines that are sitting in a warehouse that may work. They better be machines that you can come up and make and make work and make run. And because, as bulletproof as possible. As, yeah, because you got to get them up. We here to – and then you got to be able to, as he said, to work on them, repair them. With 120-something machines that we have up and running all the time here, we spend six to $700 a month just in parts. Just maintenance. Just parts. And that doesn't include the people fixing the labor, it. The labor, the labor to that goes it. to just, it. Yeah. Just the parts. So just the parts is six hundred bucks a month, and and sometimes it gets more than that, and sometimes a little less. But on average, so you got to have the machines. They got to be able to work. You got to have them in there. You got to have the uh, the ability to get it somebody to get in and run it, and to understand how to run the machines. And uh, now one of the things we did fall into that we really like when we moved here. Before, we were doing everything on spreadsheet. We moved here. We actually found an online system that the actual gyms use, uh, your 24-hour fitness and all these other so guys. T- so, actually, let me stop you for a moment. What is your 
structure here. You mentioned earlier uh, about the uh, the comparison to the health club. How if, if somebody wants to come to the game preserve, what's what's the so so the way it works is they come in. Um, a lot of times people want to come in and just play for the day, and that's fifteen bucks a person. They get in, they get to play. So all once day they long. come in, there's no tokens, there's no quarters. Nope. Everything's on. Free Everything's play, right? on free play, which right. is a great way to do it. And again, another part of our business model, because in the state of Texas and most other states, that if you have coin operated machines, you have to have stamps on those machines and pay taxes to all the different entities through those stamps. But if you change out the machine, you got to get another stamp, and you got to pay you're it not up front. Circumventing any kind of no. Uh, as a matter no. of fact, we pay more taxes that per month because the way we do it, we actually pay more taxes than we would if we actually paid by the by the coin, right. by the machine. It's just the difficulty of keeping the tax stamps and keeping the machines going. When you swap, because you're constantly swapping, we're swapping games machines. They break okay, so off they now. so they can come in. So fifteen bucks, they're in. They're playing all night long. Um, if at the end of the night, they're the day, they decide that they like the place. They can actually become a member, and a member works just like a gym membership. You pay X amount per month, and you can join. You can pay at the door, just pay your amount at the door, or you can set it up on reoccurring. If they decide, hey, I'd like to be a member, as an individual, it's only 35 bucks a month. So 35 bucks a month, and it's completely unlimited gameplay. Come in as many times as you want. And again, this mirrors the gym membership. Gym membership, you don't pay a whole lot, really, for the membership to, if you think about everything you have access to. But we're, we're, we're dependent upon the fact that not everybody's going to be here at the same day, right? So that works out at well, that, $35. That, that, um, the model is very similar in the fact that in the case of a gym, there's only a limited number of those big exercise machines you can have in your house. So you go and you pay to play on their big exercise machines. So here... There's a limited number of arcade machines you can have in your house, if any, and you pay to play on our machines. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah. a it's a very similar model. So with the uh, so we have the individual memberships are thirty five, and then if you have a family, it is uh, double that. It's seventy dollars a month, and the family is whatever's in your household. It's not your brother from Cleveland or you know your stepdaughters from from three marriages ago. It's it is whoever lives in your household. We do not judge what a household looks like or what a family is because there are so many iterations of families these days. Uh, we love and have everybody here, and and that's what we that's what's, what we what's your what's your website? The website is gamepreservehouston.com. and your address and is four seventy three Sawdust. Uh, we are, which is kind of misleading. I have to step up because we are in the the Big Lots Walgreens shopping area on Sawdust at 473. 473 will actually put you in the next parking lot over. So you got to so watch for the Walgreens. Look for the Walgreens. Our little signs up there. We're the next Walgreens, FedEx. Yep, cross from Waterburger, and that gets you here. The other thing I will tell you is for you, we have because I know you're trying trying to cut it down. Is we have guest passes. As an individual, you get five guest passes. You can bring five friends with you. Your first month, you're limited to one at a time. Back to that lesson that we learned. And as a family, you get ten, but you can use two at a time your first month. Eventually, the the family is is double everything. If you decide you want to do reoccurring, let us just auto-bill 
your thing. Instead of being $35 a month, it's only 30 And instead of being 70 no. No, it's 25 It's 25 25 So you save $10. And then instead of 70 it's 50 You save 20 bucks a month if you let us auto bill. And most of our members decide to do that. What will happen? People will come in. They'll play. They'll like the place. We will apply every penny they paid for that day entrance on that day to a membership. And a lot of them will buy the month membership. Then they'll play the month. Then they'll realize, wow, this is great. This is cheap. I can come here whenever I want. And then they buy the reoccurring. And then next month we pick up on the reoccurring. So we always attract. We tell people we're the drug dealers in town. We're going to give you a little taste. You're going to be back. <laughs> we know you're going to be back. enjoy it so much. Yep, we know you're going to be back. And there's, there's uh, tournaments, the, the yep. local pinball. Um, actually, there's not only pinball tournaments, but there are video, video game, game tournaments. tournaments. Well, yep. Uh, like a, there's a summer league, right? The yep. tournament of the champions. Tur- tournament summer of champions. champions. We have a, every summer we have a video, and that's a video, mostly video with some pinball uh, thrown into the mix, and it's just really kind of a. Well, they can check the Facebook. And I think they always on our Facebook page that, right? and our pinball tournaments. All the pinball tournaments that we have here, with a few exceptions, are all sanctioned by IFPA so that they can actually be get ranked, points for it, get right? points for it, and get ranked with the World Pinball. Well, players. any other uh, shameless self promotion you would like? To uh, do we also we do. Birthday parties, birthday parties. Oh, right, right. So you've bachelor got the, parties. You've got the bar party mitzvahs. That, that, yep. As you say, divorce be, parties. <laughs> yeah. Any any kind of party you want to put together. We've had a lot of different parties. We 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 do have corporate events here. Uh, we can certainly help with the corporate events. We have a big projection screen, and we can put up your slide and your PowerPoint. You can do that. We have a wireless microphone system. We can talk to folks. We have. Uh, we can just make. We can. We can put on a nice party. We tend not to do the uh, to rent the whole place out uh, on the days we're open. We can do it on Mondays and the times we're not open. If we do, it's just expensive because we're losing revenue. We'll do it. It's just going to be expensive. And there's a pretty constant rotation. And I'm not going to say a rotation of games, but if you come, you know, if you come here a couple of weeks later, you're probably going to see a few new games here. Every a few different m- games here. I can guarantee you, every month there's two to three new games. Every right. month. Anything else you want to talk about? Well, the important, the key thing is you need to come here, right? Absolutely. Exactly. It's it's hard to describe it. And when when people ask me what it is, I tell them it's the '80s arcade your mother always warned you about. <laughs> except you don't need to raid her purse for her quarters. Yeah. Oh, and and to do this, to, to to step into that, couple of good good major points. When you walk in, we'll throw you back to the '80s just like that. There's black lights, there's disco balls, there's a projection screen with the videos from the MTV when MTV was really MTV and showed the videos. A free jukebox. We are we have the jukeboxes all on free play. You can bring. Your your own food in just order pizza and have it delivered here we see that all the time we're constantly on the pa saying bob your pizza is here and um we are also a byob facility now what that means is we don't mind if you come here and play some games and have a beer if you want to get inebriated go to a bar but if you want to come in play some games have a few beers bring them on come on we're all here to have fun exactly well guys thank you very much for spending some time with us to tell us how you're business grew to what it is today and if you're ever in this area be sure to make it by here and enjoy some of the uh, fun here all right thank you very much thank you guys
Thank you for listening to the RK Repair Tips question and answer podcast. All of our episodes are available for download at ArcadeRepairTips.com or at the iTunes Music Store under podcast. This podcast is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult a professional before attempting to repair any coin-operated machines yourself. The preceding program is a Varcade Entertainment production.